This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And Chris from Deeply Dapper. And it's time to, well, it's hard to say what time really means. It's a, it's a construct that we collectively agree on, but I'm in your future when you're, and you're in my in past. Yeah, you're in a different part of the world entirely. <laughs> Amazing. What? I'm not even existing for you for another 10 hours, even, man. Do they even have potatoes there? <laughs> Unfortunately, they have a lot of them, but not your kind of potatoes. Figuratively or literally. Anyway. <laughs> and see. Release the... Kraken. Hey, Chris. How you doing? I'm surviving. How are you? Great. I'm enjoying this, this beautifully overcast and smoggy morning. Here in uh, Indonesia, H- how's your morning going? Oh wait, it's it's super evening here, sir. <laughs> is it uh, is it ninety five degrees? No, not night. Well, I mean, it was earlier today, but it's it's starting to cool off because in Idaho it cools off when it gets dark. So I've heard about that. Yeah, it's nice. It is. It, uh, let's see. So it got up to ninety today, and it's seventy seven outside right now. So nice. Not nice. bad. Not well, bad. Not the, bad. Inter- the international press. I'm cosmopolitan, and I just read the international press. You see, and I actually don't read it. I sort of read it anyway. IP. It said that the world. That's right. The world is on fire, and that there's heat waves, like the European heat waves, that are now lighting the United States on fire, and everybody's going to melt. And I was wondering. Is that true? Do you have a heat wave for where where you are right now, or is it just the East Coast? No, this is just this is normal for us uh-huh. here. Like we, if anything, it's actually been a little milder than usual. So nice. yeah, I'm okay with that. Frankly, yeah, I, I, I'm okay with that. I, I my garden melting like right around a hundred degrees. In the summertime, but it always gets down to around 60 at night. So oh, it never man. feels as god awful. And there's like no humidity. So you dry out, but it's comfortable when it's, you know, when it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Daytime. Dry potatoes. Uh-huh. Daytime. <laughs> <laughs> dry potatoes beat wet potatoes any day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wet potatoes smell awful. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, right. And pr- prior to cooking, if it's wet, it's probably not a good sign either. Yeah, yeah really. Uh, so as was alluded to, uh, we're this is another one of those episodes where we are extremely uh, intercontinental because we are recording in opposite parts of the world. And soon, presumably, uh, when Begin Again Blake Simmons joins us, he'll be who knows where. I don't even know if he's in the United States or, you know, wherever. It's hard to tell with him. He could it's be on correct. the space for all we know. At multiple times, he could be at multiple places at once with him. We don't know. He's a <laughs> he's a singularity that's not very singular. So, but anyway, so we're all over the place, and uh, through the magic of technology, here we are. Um, <laughs> so, here's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, it's the first of our segment because we're we've returned in our post Game of Thrones uh, recaps. We're returned to structure. Last time, we yes, lost structure. Infrequent recordings. Today. Is yes. our structure. So, and the structure within the structure is following our segment protocols. And my first protocol is the sucking the monkey segment. For new listeners, this is where we talk about the things that we are drinking or in some cases not drinking. What are you having? For nude listeners. 
For you? Uh, <laughs> Those are my favorite <laughs> kinds. <laughs> now I'm all in for that, of, actually. I prefer to think of all of our listeners fully dressed, but you, you, you Tom. <laughs> I've met a few listeners at shows that I, I'm okay with it. I mean, then again, I don't know. <laughs> Some that I'm not. <laughs> Everyone, uh, you have a right. All 333 of us have the right to do themselves. Wait a minute. That's not what I meant. Mm. Do you. That's also not what I meant. Just keep your clothes on. It's probably better. You do me. <laughs> you do you. And that's what I would. <laughs> the two of us do it together. I'm no, that sounds so. super wrong now. <laughs> Let's do our sucking the monkey segment. What are you having? <laughs> I'm drinking a coffee laced heavily with uh, uh, Irish Spring. Irish Man, Spring. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> Irish Spring. I really. That's not. What is? What is? What is? Uh, it's not Irish Spring. That's a friggin' soap. <laughs> what is, I was gonna say you're trying to kill yourself. <laughs> It's already that bad. I don't know. It's <laughs> worst it's podcast ever. Irish cream. That's the word ah. I'm looking for. That's very similar to Irish spring, only it's delicious <laughs> and alcoholic instead of soap. So, you know. The thing is, I, Irish cream is, <laughs> this is quality very reasonable. Podcasting here. It is. It is. It's 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 medium pimpin at its finest. But the thing is, Irish cream is very reasonable association for an adult coffee drink, and it took me a long time to get there with you too. Yeah, it's like it did. I even have it in my drink, and I don't know what's in it. <laughs> it's like this is a snuff film. It's not even being filmed. All right. Well, that's interesting. I'm a little disappointed because it would have been great after that whole "you do, you do, me do, you" that you were actually drinking Mountain Dew. But uh, it's the kind of thing I would expect of you, but you didn't do it. Do, 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 do. It's fine. So uh, for me, uh, as you may recall in some of our previous sessions, um, I would I would find an alcohol in this in this uh, country that was you know, maybe a brand off from what we would expect and then mixed it with things that were mysterious and the results were varied. Um, I was not I was not taking any chances. I've learned my lesson. So I have some delicious Hendrix gin, uh, which is not cheap. And, uh, and I'm mixing it with um, some delicious mystery juices. And I say that because uh, I had ordered some honeydew juice, and what came was sort of an orangish purple, which means it could be a cantaloupe juice mixed with a dragon fruit juice. I don't know. Um, but it's going to be good. <laughs> no, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> honeydew cantaloupe. Gin, I, so or whatever it is you're drinking. <laughs> yeah, so I, I decided to call this new signature cocktail the Ser- the Serpent's Slurp. That's Come on, give, uh, give, give, give it to uh, me. Slurp. <laughs> That's an awful word. <laughs> whatever says, says says the guy who drinks soap in his coffee. I mean, really. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I can't argue about that. Dream <laughs> uh, uh, not spring. All right, well. <laughs> it's going great so far. Okay, so I have my delicious beverage. Um, and in fact, uh, I think it's time for our next sweet segment. And in fact, it's a new segment or a new nude name segment. for an old segment. A nude segment. It's, <laughs> it's a new name for a segment that we've had in the past but never really had a name for, uh, which is where we talk about our our small press life and our con life, uh, that other half of our podcast world that you know at least 
332 of the 333 listeners are interested in. Usually we do that towards the end, and this time, because beginning again, Blake Simmons is is uh, is not yet with us, we're going to go ahead and uh, and do that first, right? I call it the scalp mappery segment. Do you know why I call it that? Scalp mapping? There's there's at least seven people on the continent that knows what that means. <laughs> Well, you know, our, our our podcast has a theme, a dual theme of both robots and sort of piratey stuff. And uh, there was a robots certain... Robots and buccaneers, baby. That's right. There's a, there was a very high quality cinematic opus from the past called Cutthroat Island, starring Gina Davis yes. and Matthew it's Modine. Opus is exactly what I think of when I think about that movie. It was a hairspray opus. But anyway, it's a terrible movie in a lot of ways. Rennie Harlan, right? Terrible. But we've talked about it before on the show. But uh, one of the key details that I took away from it that was good, um, which was not the hair or Matthew Modine or the one guy that's a bit player that was the villain, um, was that they were running around scalping people because there were treasure maps hidden on the scalps. So you see what I did there is pirates and drawing, scalp mapping. See? I think yeah. it's I think it's a total winner, and there's no question that this should be a segment on every episode without without fail from here on out. And oh, anyone who be. says otherwise is clearly a Russian. <laughs> Very clearly a Russian. <laughs> so we've got con stuff happening, and we also have some some project work happening. I lose track a little bit about the things that you're working on that are um, for public release and the things that are pre-public release. So maybe I ask you first. What are you working on that you can talk about or semi-talk about or that you're excited about? Uh, well, I've got a couple things going right now. Uh, we have a Kickstarter in a couple of weeks that I am woefully behind on and scrambling like crazy to finish up. Uh, it's for my superhero skirmish game that technically has been in creation works since the uh, late 80s. <laughs> but it's mm. something that we've pulled back out and revived in the last year. And it's just a simple superhero thing that uh, lets you use any miniatures you have to play like kind of tabletop skirmish war games. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a simple little thing, but I've got a lot of writing and formatting to do still. Uh, then I'm also prototyping a game that I'm hoping to have ready to start playtesting at shows by August. And uh, I'm working on some new paintings, too. Hey, I have a question. So I have a, a little bit of, of everything. First question, yes. your, your superhero skirmish game. Indeed. Do, do you have a name for that? Yes, it's called Splash Page Adventures. Okay. Because I was going to say, Superhero Skirmish is a really great name, too. That is a <laughs> pretty solid name, yeah. That's that's the subtitle on it, is a Superhero Skirmish. So. Okay, so it's called it's called Super Splash Adventures, is that what you said? Splash Page Adventures. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, do I have to pay for all three days at the water park, or just one day? Everything I do has to be alliterative, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Super Splash Adventures. Yeah, Super Splash Adventures Water Park is what it's called. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm super happy that you're into it because you're, yes. you're going to take a bath in this thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to take a bath. That's a really good way of putting it. I mean, the exciting part of this, and we'll probably talk more about this a little later as it's uh, closer to prime time, but um, there are going to be some really fun connections between this project and my post-human role-playing game. So we've been Indeed. we've been plotting that, and I think it's going to be... I mean, it's it's a harmonious 
merging of those two for people who are interested in both role playing and tabletop gaming. Yeah, I'm really uh, excited about this. It's just this this great synergy where we can take your world of RPGs, superhero stuff, and this world of like a simpler skirmish game. And if somebody wants to play both, they can pick up stuff for both. So it should be pretty awesome. I love it. Super super splash synergy. Yes. Now coming to the water park near you. <laughs> Sounds like an episode of Gem or something. Or is it, it does. <laughs> Sounds truly, truly outrageous anyway. <laughs> I'll tell you what was truly outrageous. While you were describing that, I took a sip of my serpent's slurp, and I had this this deep spine shudder. It's as awful as you and, thought it was going to be, isn't it? Well, it's as awful as you thought it would be. It's gin <laughs> and unsweetened fruit. <laughs> drink and uh you know fruit juice and um it's it's severe Ugh. no thank you it's gonna sir. be great nothing's gonna go wrong it'll be fantastic so and then also the the uh the product the game you've been prototyping that's one you can't speak about in detail yet correct uh no i can it's just a it's 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 i i've taken the one that we were talking about and pushed it back that'll probably be our next spring mm-hmm. show one uh mm-hmm. this one's called hyper dice and it's a science fiction simultaneous dice chucking game where you're playing. Uh, it's kind of 60s retro sci-fi themed and you play space explorers and you have to loot planets by rolling dice and getting certain combinations. And it's That's sort awesome. of a push your luck game where you have to uh you have you can roll as often as you want to and get as many cards as you want, but the first person back to base gets more points. And if you roll too much without paying attention to your fuel, you don't have enough dice to get back to the base. That's and awesome. You space. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. It's it's a fairly simple game, and the art aesthetic of it uh, rolls right into the new art style that I'm working on. So mm-hmm. it's. I'm really excited about it. I love listening to you talk about game mechanics because, I mean, you're you're a lot more heavily invested in terms of your time and your exposure to that world with the, with the cons that you go to and the fact that you've been doing this for a number of years now. But um, as someone who's played types of games, but not extensively, right? In my time, mm-hmm. other than my childhood, you know, once I was a young adult on, I played very specific types of games, you know, tabletop, right. you know, tabletop wargaming and primarily role-playing, right? But I mean, watching you deconstruct some really basic concepts of types of games and then build in these hooks and these ideas for the thematic material that make it interesting, I think it's great. I love listening to you talk about it. Yeah, it's something that Uh, I I feel like a lot of designers don't think about as the theme part. And for me, theme comes first. I think it it comes from the fact that you and I are artists versus mathematicians and scientists and all these other smart people that make games is we think about the story we want to tell with the game before <laughs> anything else. And then we sure. figure out how to make a game out of that story. But well, you just, I mean, when you were just describing that game, hyper dice, which I love the name of, by the way, that's incredible. Um, Thank you. I, in 20, I was thinking about the pitch, right? Like the hardest thing when you think about the con table, it's the pitch, right? And you're a, you're a great pitchman. A pitchman, okay, um, which is different than an Aquaman. You're a pitchman. And the thing is, I love watching you at shows talk about some of your projects and how you could distill um, something that has a lot of um, there there behind it into something that's very easy to understand 
um, and has sort of an immediate appeal. And I was listening to you describe that, and I was imagining you at a table or you know standing there with some interested parties looking at your new game and how you you could you could describe in ten seconds what that's about. And I'm I can instantly visualize the <laughs> the mechanics of what you're describing and how that would work. I mean, the details are what they are, but that totally works for me. Pillaging planets, say, you know. Stretching yourself too thin. You got to get the home base to get your points. It all, I mean, it just makes so much sense to me. Um, yeah. No, you make I, a complicated I really thing simple. I am pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a pretty fun game. So, Lots I'm of lasers. Excited. Well, yeah, there has to be. Ships with landing skids and wings, like little pointy wings and stuff. Yeah. And weird, tall, like tower style alien planets and whatnots. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mars needs memories and so forth. Yes? <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> like that. Very kid-friendly, only memory-related. Yes. So, um, yes, there's nothing There's nothing period about memories. They're an intrinsic part of life, or at least most of it. So, mammalian life, anyway. So, let me ask you something <laughs> else. For for people who like to listen, to listen to us talk about process, of which I hope Y'all. is 99% of our listener base... And uh, people who like to um, perhaps see some of that, I wanted to mention that you have on at least, I mean, I think you cross post, but on at least one of your Instagram accounts, you show some of the sausage making on your game development. It's pretty fun, right? It's Deeply Dapper Games is your Yeah, yeah, that's been kind of interesting. We just got in this massive pile of... uh, Like temporary parts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been it's been kind of delightful actually getting all these in and playing with them and like I just have like a massive pile of dice and tokens and everything sitting on my table right now and it's it's pretty great. <laughs> it's so much fun. I mean, it's I even mean, even watching you um, show some of the building blocks of you putting together some of the products that you sell that are not games, like your candles and your and your oh, scents yeah. and various things. I mean. It, all that stuff's fun. If you're, if you're a person who likes process, um, just know that, I mean, and this applies to you and I both, but um, in particular, that uh, that account for you is a great place to see how you're putting together what you put together because uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. What sure. are you working on, dude? Well, so um, <laughs> I'm, I continue on the, uh, the, the last 10% of the last 10% of the project of the last 20 years. Right. <laughs> so like in, uh, you know, in, in March, um, and I mentioned this before, but in March, I finally did my soft launch of the post-human role-playing game, which for mm-hmm. new listeners is a dice and heavily improv based supers role-playing game that has its origins in stuff I was doing going back to elementary school. Um, and has made a bunch of sort of twists and turns as I've gotten older. It primarily came about from me using other game systems and creating my own characters. And then it just became about, about designing and creating characters as just as its own thing. And then I was doing art books of those characters for a while. And then through your um, recommendation and encouragement, I ended up um, shifting the approach from art books with some handy game stats on the side to being the game with some art. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's been really interesting. So the last few years has been this really hard burn to get this um, codified and put together in a, in a, in a package that looks good and reads well and is fun. And I think 
it's been really, really, really rewarding, but it's also, um, it kind of makes me shocked that it's happened <laughs> when you work on something <laughs> for so long and then it's, and then it's realized, then you look at it and you're like, well, okay. And there's a relief to it. But at the same time, you're like, well, I've been, you know, I've been working on this so much. It almost defines me. Right. Yeah. Like if you, yeah, totally. you see the, the interviews that Robert Downey Jr. is doing right now and I, I'm making an unfair comparison between me and him and our lots in life, but he's talking all about how his work does not define him and his post Marvel world's going to be just fine because he's got a, you know, a lot more under up his sleeve. But you know, people who know me as an artist know that my, for all the things I've been doing, my, my passion is, is designing characters and writing about them and world building much more than it is uh, illustrating sequential work, much more than it is illustrating pinup work for other characters. It's really about, the creating of these characters and then the sharing of them, right? Right. So to have pulled it together, and and I think in the big picture, in a very rapid period of time, right? From the point at which yeah. you said, make the game a game, go, and me actually doing it, it's an incredible amount of hours and material has been put together in relatively short period of time. Yeah, it like, was shockingly fast, all things considered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, considering that this is not my day job, <laughs> right? Right. Um, <laughs> But anyway, in March, we, I got to a point where I had the core rule book, Post-Human, mm-hmm. in print, as well as the first two source books. And the source books are character books that are designed and to they be are used. massive. Yes. <laughs> yes, I still, I, you know, it, it remains to be seen how much of a target market there is for this scale of work. Um, but when I do meet the people who like it, it's really fun because yeah. you know they're looking for this and I have it and I like, they like it and they like that I made it. <laughs> there you go. Like so much of what I do, it shows, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, there's somewhat some esoteric nature to that, uh, bringing those two sides together. So I enjoyed it. But anyway, um, uh, when the source books are books of characters. So on every page, you know, every spread, two page spread, you have full page art of the character. And then on the other side is, these game stats, the character's ability descriptions, and then the origin of the character. And so the format's there. The first two books were done. And so when I soft launched at WonderCon in Anaheim in March of this year, uh, I had one rule book, two games, and so or two source books or a total of three books that were available as a bundle or separately. And I made some sales and it was very exciting. However, as <laughs> As much work as is obvious when you see that on the page and you flip through it, like you said, they're very big books. Um, that was only half of the inventory, right? I still had two more books <laughs> right. that are almost done that just weren't re- quite ready. And I put so much front-end time in sorting out um, the production of this. I just didn't, you know, I, I, I resolved to get the first two books done and then put the and then make the, set, the third and fourth book the second half of the launch. And then when those are out, then I can sort of, pull back and focus on marketing the material. Okay. Right. And so that's been my mission over the last, uh, basically the last few months ever since WonderCon, it's been, how do I get these other two books done? And the problem is time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I have no time. <laughs> I mean, even, <laughs> even within the relative constraints of my schedule, I have no time. It's been extremely busy at work and with my family and stuff. And, and as we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, there was this window of opportunity. My wife was going to be, um, out of the house for like 12 weeks. 
on assignment. She was on trial, trial, right? Right, right. Well, she was, yeah, at a trial. <laughs> and <laughs> she's, That's what I meant. She's always, yes. She's always, uh, yes. <laughs> she's symbolically on trial all the time. But well, she was I mean, gone. considering your kids, that's not a surprise. <laughs> Correct. Hmm. So, um, oh, that serpent slurp. Okay, so she was supposed to be gone for about 12 weeks, um, at which point, uh, you know, I could get the kids to bed and then I would be able to work, you know, a couple hours at each night, right. Or just an hour and a half for two hours each night, but very consistently, which is not to say I want my wife not to be around, but do you know what I mean? When you're just, you're oh, yeah. at home alone, you can develop a routine or whatever system you want. And it's completely different than what you do when you're having to interact with your partner. Exactly. So I had this all planned. I figured in 12 weeks, I'll have this done, even if it's an hour or an hour and a half a night. And that, and that accounts for troubleshooting and updating some quality control stuff on the first books and, you know, plenty of time. And then her – she was gone for a week and a half. I barely got started. And uh, and then her <clears throat> case settled and she came back. <laughs> so, like, oh, no. so that put me in a, in a place where I was going to continue that same approach. But um, uh, I, I don't often just go out to the garage and work when my wife's home and awake. You know, I spend time with her when she's there. So – that limited me to There's when she falls problem. asleep. I know. So we'll sit there, watch a show or do something or talk, whatever. And then if she falls asleep, I, the idea is I pull the laptop out and start, but I'm so tired from my work right. that more often than not, I fall asleep. And so, and then the other problem to the, with this is, um, and you probably experience this a little bit when you've been on the road for a while and then you come home, it's really hard to shift gears and get back into that zone. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I can always take my iPad and draw something wherever I am in whatever circumstance I'm in. But when it comes to construction and some sort of continuity with what you're doing and all that, and particularly when it's involving layouts like this, it's mm-hmm. really hard to just pick it up from cold and start working on it. You oh, it is. It's, it's something that you're staring at and obsessing over. And it's a lot of like nitpick little detail stuff that if you're not in the zone, it's super hard to do. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and in fact, I was trying to be really good about keeping my notes to myself about things that I was having to do in the construction of the books, because it's very particular. I'm using InDesign and I'm doing a lot of formatting that's specific to the printer that I've been using so far in this version of the books. And I had to make a lot of little course corrections and choices along the way, right. as well as make decisions. So sort of like editing on the fly. Right. Like I've gone through all the material a number of times, but I'm still making little tweaks even at the end. And then I have to document that. So I remember to be um, as consistent as possible. And so part of this was how do I how do I get myself back into the place where I remember those edits that I needed to do? And some of that comes from uh, our collective feedback on the first printed books, looking at what the printer did well and what they didn't do well um, and what changes could be made that would make it a little bit more legible and and improve the quality control. I thought the, they looked good, but there were things we could do to make them a lot better um, with just a few adjustments. And so it, it, little progress here and there. And then finally right. I had this, this trip to um, come back uh, overseas and do some work and said, okay, I'm going to commit all of my um, – what, what free time I have here to just cranking away and finishing this. And so that's sort of my mission uh, for the time I'm here when I'm not working, working, I'm working on this and I got to tell you, it's going well, it's going well. Um, I'm about, 
like I've got all, I've got all the art done, or I've got all the art formatted that's done, and all of the text formatted that's done, and I'm halfway through assembling book three. Uh, I think book three and book four will be assembled. Um, that will be the main push. And then I go back through and I have to fill in some of the art that's missing, which is um, with one exception, it's exclusively some team shots that have nice. to be redone because the, you know, book three is about confrontation teams. So sort of like bad guys. Right. And then book oh, four yeah. is just m- m- miscellaneous, you know, loan agents and things like that. Solo characters. And so book three enough of the characters were evolved or redesigned or whatever since I last drew the team shots that some of those team shots aren't usable anymore. And others are just new enough that there weren't anything like that. And I have to do it from scratch. So I put it all together, finishing the writing. And then my goal is to just have the remaining art that needs to be done. The very last thing, get that done and processed and in. And I'm really hoping if I'm, you know, if I pull this off, I should, um, my goal is to have these books out to the printers before I return to the States. So, um, if I get even close to that goal, I'll be stoked. And if I miss it by just a hair and that's the risk, if I miss it and I'm not quite ready, uh, or I, you know, I can't get it to upload or whatever the problem is. And I get back to the States, I'm going to be in so much hot hell in terms of my schedule. That's where it, this you're always so tight. Yeah. Oh, because you, I mean, you've been through this with, with, with online publishing and you remember my pain from the first books. <laughs> oh yeah. You, yeah, you spend definitely. so much time to get it up there and then you have to wait for it, the AI processing and then it kicks it back to you. It doesn't like this or that, but you can't figure out exactly why it doesn't like it. So you're making yeah, adjustments they're vague about it. <laughs> really vague, really vague. Something's out of bounds and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it usually seems just fine. So hopefully, and then, and obviously the, I mean, to me, the biggest hurdle on these is designing the cover is not, not the cover art per se, but it's calculating the spine um, with right. this particular publisher, which is which is Amazon uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. The calculation of that spine, um, even when you work out the math and you kind of make you you uh, you distill it down to its essence, which is not that hard, it's still easy to just completely fuck it up. And I don't know how. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I I do all the dimensioning and I look at it, it looks perfectly consistent with their requirements and I upload Apparently it. So it's covered. Their their bleed margins and like all of that's not as consistent as it should be. So it doesn't even have anything to do with how you do it when you lay it out. It's entirely that like they get there and they're just like, well, we'll shift it about twenty five eighths of an inch one yeah. way just for the hell of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very hard because they don't. They're not consistent it seems so easy to just be methodical about the process on their end right. and the requirements. And then you just follow that standard and you'd be fine. But they're mercurial about like in your, in their guidelines, they show like a um, sort of a, of like a gross dimension and then they'll, and then they'll subdivide part of that, but not the other part. And so they'll never give you, I mean, going back to architecture, they never give you a dimension string that adds everything up. Right. They give you part of it, and then you get this other part of it, and then they leave some float. But then, if you add up all the numbers yourself, you're like, "Well, that doesn't make sense." And that'll be internally inconsistent with written directions that they give elsewhere in their stuff. So I don't. Right. Know. So that's my problem. I hope I have time to finish the last few strokes of it. But man, if I get even, if I even get that that close, it'll just be, I'll feel so uh, relieved. Oh yeah, it's a massive accomplishment for you to have busted that out as quickly as you are hoping to. <laughs> yeah, right. So if that um, if that goes well, 
uh, that means that for our next show that we'll be doing together, if all goes well, I'll have the four books and the rule book. And that poses its own problem because how you, how you package and pitch that they're all designed yeah. to be, you, yeah. you could buy any source book you want. You, you buy the rule book and a source book. You could get all of them. They're all going to be fine on their own, but there's a certain, um, there's a certain risk that I also have with my, my, my art prints, right? It's the burden of choice. Some people like to deep dive in those stacks and, find all the art that they like. And some people look at it and go, oh, that's too much. Well, it's the same problem here. If you go to a table and they're like, you know, imagine being a stranger coming up to my table for the first time. And I say, Hey, here's this sweet role-playing game and four massive source books, no pressure. That can be a little overwhelming. And so I think the next step will be trying to figure out how to, how to break that into a digestible um, delivery system that makes it easier for people to know really what they are in for. So, yeah, I think that's a noble attempt anyway, or thought process, <laughs> something. And, and, to make, <laughs> and to make it more complicated, and, and we'll talk about that under the, we talk about our cons, but the next two shows are one table shows for me. <laughs> right. And uh, I'm a two-table two plus guy at this point, and that's without two yeah, extra really. source books. Yeah, you're, so. you're a 34 square foot table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So beyond uh, the post-human books, um, non non um, third rail content stuff, I'm wrapping up the processing on my little Marvel Chibi project, on mm-hmm. my little squish little miniature Marvel guys that I've drawn. Um, I need to compile it and create a, a poster art for that, and also push these guys into stickers and stuff, and then. Have to figure out some means to to see if I want to um, take some of them and make pins or do other things with them. And I kind of thought I would let the market decide. Like I make some stickers yeah. and some things and just see what people respond to. And if there are certain favorites, as there have been with my art prints, right? I made posters of the right. more popular ones. You know, if yeah, I see that a, some, it's a weird yeah. piece that you're working on because they're they're super appealing, but at the same time. The like the design of them appeals to kind of a different crowd than the subject matter does. Of course. So it's kind of yes. I'll be really curious to see how people react to those in person at shows once you start doing different things with them. I feel like um people of my age who read the what the series of parodies of the what if books <laughs> will recognize <laughs> the idea of super deformed Marvel characters in a way that you know, or people like you that love Muppet Babies, I guess. I don't know. But like That's even the, the target market, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, you know, like I associate those little miniature, like squished little super deformed or chibi characters from, from anime and, right. and manga work. So it's completely Just not this primarily market. <laughs> who is still liking that type of character, but they don't well, necessarily but, know any of these weird, obscure Marvel guys that you're doing. <laughs> But I'll tell you, though, the reason I was inspired to do it, though, is that um, you remember in my series of New Year's Eve poster Mm -hmm. arts, I would do a character and then I would do a mini, a little chibi version of one of their villains, right? Oh, yeah. Like, oftentimes it was an X-Men character, like Rogue, and then there was a little Hellfire Club guy in the background or something. Right. A little brood and various things. And I got a lot of comments from people going through my art saying they really like that. So my hope is... which makes sense. That is where the connection will be, but it, you know, in the end, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sell a few, have some fun. 
My kids like them. Um, and then uh, lastly, the I have two. Part, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I have two um, near future art, uh, sort of art print projects that I'm looking forward to returning to. One of which is, uh, um, you know, I'm sort of enjoying my little Star Wars renaissance uh, five years after everyone became obsessed with Star Wars again. Um, I have a number of characters that I have queued up that I want to take, try my hand at drawing, particularly ones that I've read about, but haven't, but there is no in canon visual definition for them. So characters from the books and stuff that I've been reading. So I'm kind of want to take my, um, take a stab at that. And then, uh, also I was recently inspired. You may recall I did a series. It was a commission originally, but I did a series of Batman poison Ivy prints where one was set in the sixties and one was present day right oh yeah kissing or like you know poison ivy seducing batman or whatever and i did the two versions of it so i was kind of inspired to do a spider-man mysterio print uh do it twice one is i'm very confused now are they no they won't be kissing well they might be it just depends on what Uh, you mean thematically (laughs) no but uh you know i that's right you never know what he is up to uh, but uh, so I wanted to do the some interpretation of the versions from the current film and then also do a variant that is and more exciting, a variant that's the Ditka arrows, Ditko era stuff. Okay. Right. Because I really love Ditko era Mysterio and I've drawn him a lot and I do it terribly. So it's a challenge. <laughs> I make him look like upholstered furniture. It doesn't work. <laughs> that's the way I intend. <laughs> oh, that's that's not how you intend it to look. <laughs> Get your money out, guys. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Stereo, the upholstery era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. So we have cons coming up. Uh, and at least two of them. My next two, we will be together in the same. Yay. Control. It's been too long. What's your most immediate? What's your next con that you have on your plate? Technically, that is the next con. Oh, really? Yeah, sadly. That's why I'm so broke this month. <laughs> I understand. Forced to eat prototype game materials. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All the stuff that I ordered back when we had money is now yeah. sitting here in lieu of food. And <laughs> Re- now relying got, on the uh, uh, technically nutritional speaking. supplement of Iris Spring. <laughs> Get yeah, <used> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have a uh, small... No, actually, that's after Silicon. Yeah, Silicon Valley is my next show, actually, legitimately. So, such as it is. <laughs> so, you've been to Silicon Valley now twice. Uh, yes, I think. And I've had it. And I've had a table there once and didn't go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, that might be it. the only year I've done it, isn't it? I don't know, man. Is that- which is, did you do it once when you were outside, or was that just we read that people were forced to be outside? No, outside? I've never done an outside show. My sense my sense when they first launched that show was it's going to be a disaster, because they didn't market it very well. They didn't seem to have any name guests. Um, yeah, the, yeah. It just seemed so fly-by-night, and I was suspicious, and this was in advance of becoming aware that even a lot of the major convention um, organizers do terrible, terrible things. <laughs> but yeah. I remember thinking that's not going to fly, and then hearing from everybody that it did great, or that they had they had a great show. And then mm-hmm. that second time when I couldn't go for work, whatever it was, um, I heard the I heard from people who did it and they did well. And then I also read 
horror stories about overflow space that they would put people in hallways and ancillary right. spaces in the hotel. And then they had a bunch of artists under tents outside, which is like, uh, I don't yeah, want to even be there. I don't want to do that during the day. And I certainly don't want to leave that stuff under a tent. <laughs> right. just, there's no possible way that makes any sense, especially in San Jose. <laughs> yeah, really. But, but uh, anyway, the, the, the floor map indicates that's not the case for us this year. So that's, so that's, that's the good news. That's comforting. It, it looks like a weird layout still, but it does. It's, it's fascinating. I even asked them. You saw. I, I I emailed them and I said, "So so what we're we're talking about is they have one half of the convention hall is all booths, and then the other side is the artist alley tables, uh, of which we were restricted to one each, and we were lucky right. enough to get them through a lot of machinations side by side, which is great. However, what's strange is they all face one direction. I've yeah. never, ever, ever seen that before. Yeah, it's really odd. So instead of having two rows facing into each other, so you're walking down with artists on both sides of you, you're going to walk down a row with an artist and the backside of an artist booth down the row. It's very strange. I've never seen it laid out like that before. It's curious, to say the least. I don't, I don't really understand. And I've tried to... I tried to go through what limited photos online from people's social media accounts and, and, and uh, Flickr and various things about previous years there. And that's definitely I not how like, it was last year. Yeah. I, I can't find any record of it that way. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's really strange. I don't know what I their logic them. is in it. I asked them and they were very dismissive about it. Like, well, that's just what we're, that's it. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> like, well, yeah. So I almost, I almost wondered if. Um, so I was trying to spitball this, and I was thinking, maybe they're attempting to mitigate the issue that we all we all experience this, right? Where you, people are coming down the aisle, and you're like, "That's my target market," and then they turn, they're looking the other, they walk down the aisle, staring the opposite direction the entire way. Right, I happens I to me a lot. Be. I mean, that really could be uh, an attempt with that. And you know what? If it works, I'm okay with that idea. I agree. Of, I agree. Like trying to balance that out. It's just it's so anti-history <laughs> yeah. that it it's hard to wrap your brain around. Well, and also you have the issue of the back of the back of house view, right? Right. Not, none of us because have a, a lot display. of these guys don't show up with full displays and stuff. So you're looking at somebody's purse and their, the backside of their, I mean, yeah, it's just a, it's kind of a strange situation as far as that's concerned as well. I'll tell you what I'm on the hunt for. And I've looked through the material and I, it's not definitive yet, but I'm going to get a little closer to it and then ask, but, um, or see what happens when I get there, I guess, but I'm preparing for the, I'm hoping maybe that uh, they do not restrict us with what we do on the backside of our displays. Mm-hmm. Because in the past, a lot of shows say, you know, you can't, you can't put graphics on the back of your display because it's going to interfere with the person on, on that side. Which is what, entirely fair which and sense. legitimate. Right. Yeah. But in our case, they're going to have a bunch of people who don't have banners in the back or, or displays, and they're just going to be the back of their tables. I don't even see evidence that they're going to put like a, a – like, like a like a stanchion with a curtain or anything. Like it's just going to be the right. back of someone's table with their with their rum and cokes out, right? So right. what I'm interested in is if we put up, you know, if we put up our our pole system and we have our big curtain display of art, 
are we going to be okay putting stuff on the backside? That's Which, a really in good a way, question, actually, I hadn't considered that, but I'd be okay with that certainly. Well, hmm. the problem though is it could go against their their idea that you're not distracting, that the view is always one direction. But on the other hand, for fuck's sake, it's marketing marketing space, right? Right. I can That's use all the help I can get. I hadn't even. And then the other problem. That. Well, the other problem is we have like a six or I don't even remember if it's eight foot or six foot. We have one table each. Yeah. And I I, I have yeah, I have some ideas on how to compress, but um, it'll be interesting to have to make choices. I'm going to be have to do more prep work than I've had in the past. I've done a lot of sort of variations on larger displays and trying to make it. Um, modular but to go back to the one table it's a good effort because we have to be able to do that um and i have some theories about how i want to handle it but it requires a lot more prep to really make it make sense yeah it's a that's a it's a real challenge and it's something that you in particular have not ever necessarily excelled at is being conservative in what you bring in display correct (laughs) i know what you're saying it was a backhanded compliment. I choose to believe it was a compliment <laughs> somehow. Sure. You are welcome to just you are welcome to drink your your poisoned melon water <laughs> and believe that that was a compliment. It's a serpent slurp, buddy. Well, but <laughs> I mean, you know, it's to me it's it's less about the um having more stuff because in reality I can bring all the stuff I want and just not have it on the table. It doesn't even have to be right. at the convention hall, right? It can always on this one percent likelihood that you suddenly burn out of a lot of stuff and you need restock, you know, have it in your room. To me, it's more about how do I make very limited real estate make sense when my entire product delivery system is about having the room to spread out and, and, uh, and explore at the same time that I'm trying to launch a product that wants its own spotlight. So that's going to be the rub because I can put, I can just, I mean, if I didn't have the game, I could take all of my long my long bins of prints that you go through and little displays and I could compress the, I could compress that and 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 make that make sense and squish it all onto one table. And just one solid table of bins. But how to do that at the same time that I have to not only have the display space for the game, but have the, the room to actually break it out and show you. I have to be creative. Right. So anyway, it's it's a fun challenge. And it'll be it'll have its payoff because the very next show I do is Rose City in Portland, which once again is one table. Right. Which and I'm really frustrated about. In terms of displays and layout yes. and everything as well. Yes. I did Yeah. Well and I did I did get I got the same or I requested they give you the option at least at Rose City to request your same table. Which I, I, I appreciate say, that, certainly. Yeah. And I requested my same spot because I had a corner table. I No, I didn't have a corner table. I had, what is it? You had well, an anyway. table, anyway. Yeah. Well, so my goal is, my, my hope is at least, uh, maybe I'll have a little bit of an L to work from, but um, the lessons learned, pro and con, on uh, Silicon Valley will pay off with Rose City. The struggle yeah. there is, dry, I mean, I've been driving to Portland more recently because I had so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be that it maybe it doesn't make so much sense to drive to Portland in uh, September if, if you only I have only have one table. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. I, I have I don't to know. do the math. Yeah, yeah. It depends on what you decide to end up bringing with you. 
because even if you're only have a six foot table and you're bringing all those 11 by 17s, that becomes difficult. But still, well, the last time, yeah, the last time I looked at this calculus, the problem was I still had a number of boxes of stuff. I'm not in the system that makes sense to drop ship from show to show like a lot of the people do, right? I just don't. Right. I, I can't get into that. And uh, I have enough stuff that between finding ways to protect the material from damage and then its weight and the number of parcels, even for a six foot table, I think that that could financially bust me over just drive. Right. Even if I don't need a whole forerunner full of <laughs> stuff, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I just give it all to you and you drive it up there. It'd be great. No problem. Hey man. Hey, I can only fit so much in my vehicle nowadays too. <laughs> You have all that room for all the Irish spring that you're lit. Now that, now that we're doing candles and stuff, it's a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, so I have SVCC uh, and then Rose city. And then my next show after that is uh, the new uh, uh, wizard based show here in the Bay area called Bay area comic-con, which it just so happens is the name that we tried to tell, or I tried to tell, yeah. Well, we both did. We tried to tell uh, San Francisco Comic Con to change their name to when they moved to Oakland. Yeah, that disaster. Yeah, that was that was our immediate suggestion on that. And they're like, rah, 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 rah. well, so at the time they said they couldn't get that name because of issues that someone else had it. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, who who has it that hasn't used it? So what that means is, did Wizard World claim that and plan for this? And like, it could be, or did someone else have it and Wizard bought it? I don't know. I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. This will be the first of my two returning forays into trying the wizard shows after uh, Sacramento. I was really disillusioned with their operation. We talked about that ad nauseum, but you yeah. went but to I think Portland. That's a, but, that's a Sacramento issue as much as anything. I think. Correct. Yes. I think you're right. And you went to, you went to Portland and said, Hey, it was great. And that's what inspired yeah, me to, to step back in. Portland's usually decent. I've, uh, I've yet to do a bad Wizard World in Portland, but yeah. So I'm always first. <laughs> I'm going to do Bay Area Comic Con, which is I think. Um, oh, it's it's um, for better or worse, it's it's the weekend after Thanksgiving. So hopefully that is okay. And then um, and then the next show after that in 2020 is the is the slot that Heroes and Villains used to have, which is now mm-hmm. is where Wizard World Portland is now. So right. So, so what do you have? You have SVCC, then you have Rose City, or something between them. Uh, I've, after SVCC, I've got SaltCon in Layton, Utah, which is a board game convention that we are just going and playing board games at. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that, I have uh, Salt Lake Comic Con, then Rose City. So that's a very busy like three week stretch right there. Wow. And then after Rose City, do you have anything before the end of the year? Or, or? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I've got like well, four or five other shows after that. Plus thirty three other shows. Yeah, understood. Well, that's good, and you got a lot to a lot to look forward to, but a lot of harrowing prep work and. Yeah. And no, no, and we say yes. <laughs> and two kickstarters in between there as well. <laughs> I'm glad so. you set reasonable goals for yourself. Yeah, I try to I try to keep things tight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, I, I think that was a pretty decent inaugural uh, scalp mapping segment. Um, 
a name that is 100% perfect. It will never change unless it is. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. That's that it's instantly (laughs) recognizable. What, what the hell we're talking about there. (laughs) I have heard from people who listen to the show that I've heard from people that like the entertainment stuff and reviews and stuff, but also I've heard from people who are interested in our process comments and talking about the cons and talking about our experiences as creators. And so, you know, having this forward on the podcast is not the worst thing. Yeah. Let us know if you find this valuable or not. Otherwise we'll reevaluate. But if you (laughs) don't like hearing us talk about this for what, three hours now, uh, (laughs) let us know, but we like to talk about it. So we're always happy to, (laughs) we will continue to do so. Just tweet. Yes. And we'll know that it's working out great. (laughs) So let's do a little bit of a, Let's do sort of an, a semi-abridged Red Sky Roundup instead of, uh, you know, in the last several episodes, I would use dice because we have this huge amount of uh, entertainment news that's been going on. And since we're not writing it to the robot-kraken.com website, as we were for a time, um, mm-hmm. I've just been using dice to resolve the things that we talk about. Um, and in this particular instance, I neither have dice. Um, oh, I do. I do. <laughs> oh, well, it's too late for that. I already picked the, I picked the topics and they're great. Fine, be that way. <laughs> I, I literally have 300 six-sided dice sitting in front of me and that is not Prototype an dice. <laughs> Prototyping dice? Well, they're no, all, these are all, they're all blank. Dice. They're all six-sided <laughs> dice. I do. I Well, no, I have a thousand blank dice sitting in front of me if you want to go that way. <laughs> oh my God, you could... Yeah, here comes a uh, uh, here comes a Predator Two reference. You can just keep rolling the blank dice and go. It's always the same. <laughs> Remember him? I know you. Yes, do. I do. I love Predator so Two. I have a um, I have a, a DC item. I don't like DC, but okay. <laughs> I noted on Instagram, no, on Twitter that uh, Supergirl. The CW show that I don't watch. Oh, I do like Supergirl. Well, the CW show that I don't watch, but I like looking at evidence that it exists. Yeah, Melissa uh, Benoist the, is in, incredibly charming. Yes. Well, here's the problem. Get ready for this. They have revealed that in some or all of the new season, she is reverting to a skirtless, pant, pants-having sort of unibody suit of blue with a cape and kind of looks like the, it looks like the new 52 version of Superman, like no undies. Okay. So on the, on the upside, Benoist is not wearing undies, but on the downside, <laughs> she's also not wearing a, that really, I mean, I thought that design was so cool that they made for that too. show. Yeah. It was really logistical and clever and it worked well for both the classic look and for like modernizing it a little bit. Yeah, that's a little bit, that's a bummer. As a as a means, of, yeah, as a means of bringing a lot of the classic look to something practical for the show, it was such a great idea. She's got a little pants, yeah. little pants on, little shorts or something underneath there. And yeah, the there were shorts use, underneath, and yeah. yeah, and they use not like a dark nylon kind of thing to break it up. Um, just the choices that were made in the in in how they put that together, I thought was amazing. And yeah. to see, I know in this past season there was some sort of they're doing like uh crisis type stuff. So there was, or something, you know, some, some sort of uh, DC uh, continuity clap trap, but there was yeah. some version where she had some wackadoo costume. It kind of reminded me of when the X-Men were in space for a while in the, in the nineties and Joe mad was giving them each different 
um, pastel spacesuits for no reason. That kind of looked like that. <laughs> Not great, <laughs> but uh, but she went back to her costume, and now to see this, I was very disappointed. So I wanted to pour the first sip out of my Serpent's Slurp to the Supergirl costume that is going away, but hopefully will come back again in a big MacGuffin. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with this. Fair. I'm not pouring my coffee out because I'm almost out, but I'll... I'll pour out something for her later. That's how it. Yeah, don't awful. don't pour out your Irish Spring. That's nutrients that you need. <laughs> it's it's just starting to bubble just the right way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have another item. This is a Marvel item. I think it's a good thing. Uh, it was revealed this week that Taika Waititi is on board for Thor four writing. Oh uh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. So I that's intriguing a- to me because last we saw them. Isn't Thor wandering around with the Guardians? The Guardian? Uh-huh. I mean, I haven't actually seen the movie still, but that's what I've heard. Uh, I see. <laughs> so that's it. That that's may or may not have happened. <laughs> I I assumed that he's going to be in the next Guardians movie that James Gunn is doing. Right. So that's that's interesting. Well, so that's so to me that's that's what's so interesting about it to uh is that not only do we not know how that dovetails with the guardians movie or if it does, but also what we don't know anything about it other than that. It's the right people are involved. Yeah. This could be a timey wimey thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> as, uh, as was talked about in our last episode, which you haven't listened to because you haven't watched Endgame, perhaps, um, this is Thor undergoes some changes in that movie. They're well documented okay. in the internet, but yeah, so, I've, I've seen some spoilery cosplay of it already. I don't yeah, I, I don't know how you have any hope of any surprises. No, nah. <laughs> uh, nah, when when you don't make it during the the window that that show is there, you're screwed. Yeah, I need to get Spider Man now, but yes, yes. Well, our last episode was uh, was was uh, uh, talking about both Endgame and Spider Man because they're very directly linked in cer- in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, I yes, I do think you want to see both of those pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But anyway, so. With, with Thor, the only downside to it, I mean, that in, in and of itself, that's great news to me. But mm-hmm. um, the only downside is that partly what led to that being possible or was a casualty of it was that his Akira is back on hold. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I just so assumed that I don't know that already. Hmm. No, they never even did production on it. And so I, I'm not sure whether I wanted a... Taika Waititi Akira more than I want a Thor four. Man, I'm so un- unsure about the whole Akira thing. I I don't see it as being filmable live action, but I've mm. said that before about things and been wrong. But hmm, well, I, mean, I said that about Guardians. <laughs> so. Yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I think my problem, my my question mark on it was more: How do you make? It wasn't making a live action Akira because I think that you could visually. Remember, I'm an apologist for. Ghost well, I guess Shell, I should say. People say I don't know how you can cover the story with a single movie. Is what I'm talking about. But like, again, just like Ghost in the Shell, up. I haven't seen that lot, still. Ah, uh, okay. Well, a lot of a lot of criticism about it, but um, I enjoyed it just fine. It and looks, I think that it there's looks really good. Well, that's the that's the thing. It looks good, right? Well, so you know, I could see them doing a live action Akira, even if they would have to adjust the scope of it significantly because of that story. The question I had was, how do you make a Taika Waititi Akira? Right, because his strengths seem to be in humor and being quirky, 
And right. I wasn't sure if he were apply that, it doesn't mean that he would, but if he did apply that to this, is that the Akira I want? Yeah, um, that's a perfectly good question. Which, which, which I would tend to say it certainly is not. But at the same time, I also was a person who'd said I certainly did not want a Guardians movie, let alone a Taiko ID. Yeah, movie. yeah, exactly. So I, I trust the process, I guess. But, uh, but so anyway, there's that. I so I don't process. know. I, the right people are involved anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Correct. Correct. Um, and in this sense, that's that's the thing. Like I, I was so relieved at the idea that he was that another Marvel movie was identified for him, even if it had been something totally different. I would have been. It's the same level of enthusiasm I have. I think yeah. if they had said he was doing a Squirrel Girl movie, I would have been equally as oh, man. thrilled, possibly more thrilled. Whatever happened to that Squirrel Girl project? You with know, Milana Vintraub or whatever her name is, because I was all in on that. Yeah, but so that was a that was an animated one, right? She was just doing the no, no. Play. She was she was playing Squirrel Girl, to my knowledge. It was some like was it maybe maybe it's one of the Disney direct oh. things that they're working on. What we definitely got know. out of it was her doing the cosplay. Yeah, she's I well I I had no idea who she was until all that. And I really I love her now. I think she's delightful. Yeah, I, was, I don't know what did you know huh. her from before that? So I was tracking her um because she did a series of AT&T commercials and she was the <laughs> AT&T I mean, okay, well, understandable. No, 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 but she was it was this string of commercials where she's like the AT&T salesperson and the jackass customer is saying some things and she's saying some things back and it's just banal stuff, but, or banal, depending on what, how you want to say it. But the thing is, I was, I was uh, stunned by the amount of charisma. I mean, she's very pretty in, in the way she I, is. in my, she's my cup of tea, kind of pretty, but also she had a lot of charisma in that well beyond what was appropriate for an AT&T commercial. She's super charming and like incredibly charismatic. Definitely. Yes, yes, yes. And so then she went on from that to do, um, she was cast in, she has a couple of bit parts in certain movies. And then she was cast in that, uh, it was the star Trek parody before Orville. Uh, it came out on one of those channels. It might've been Amazon or it might've been like crackle or some, whatever. And it was a Star Wars or a Star Trek, Star Trek type uh, show where all the, you know, all the <laughs> kooky alien, all the kooky um, uh, officers on the ship are are uh, beyond the pale and and uh, and irreverent and you know, <laughs> it, it didn't last long. It was like one season; it was gone. I only saw like a clip of it, and I had hoped Here. it was going to be good, and I never even got to it before it was gone. And she was a human officer on that ship. Um, and I don't remember what else uh, she did in between. And then all of a sudden she started get, getting these, these bigger nods and, and squirrel girl. Hmm. Weird. Okay. I would say that she's gotten nowhere near the amount of coverage that I would expect for someone as charming and interesting to watch. as she yeah. is. However, on the other hand, as much as I find her aesthetically pleasing and enjoy listening to her, she does not fit the Hollywood model. No, she doesn't. And she's very outspoken, speaks her mind. And I think that sometimes that hurts when it comes to finding roles. Yeah. She popped up on, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, and she also popped up on, uh, 
one of the seasons of Silicon Valley, which is a sitcom I love. I still haven't seen that either. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. That's fun. I, I was I think told you'd like it even you if you don't, don't live here. I was told that you don't appreciate it as much if you don't live there. I can see that, but at the same time, I think a lot, I think that's true about the context of what they're doing. But if <laughs> but if you can accept that, like this could be but a you show also set think, in a you. You also think other people love the Californians. Oh, that's true. Good point. <laughs> that's not true. Californians is New Yorkers making fun of California, and I just happen to like the joke. But that's very, <laughs> very specific. I'm saying this is good in the way – I'm saying this is good in the way they could be in a – they could be working the assembly line at a plant that stuffs the snakes into those little cans, you know? And it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. And the same sort of – uh, concepts are funny, and the characters, and, the, and particularly the actors, are really good. But you're right; that's a, that it's focused. Those are really esoteric. Pulled there with the the snakes in a can. <laughs> thing. Do they even make that anymore? It's a very good this, question. This did is they showing have... your age because when you were growing up, that was like the hot Christmas <laughs> gift. Well, but do they ever make it though? I don't know that it actually exists. <laughs> <laughs> you're just I saying like I... Santa never brought you one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe I was the maybe I was the snake in the can. You you've been the snake in the can the whole time, Tom. It's possible. <laughs> it's very possible. It explains my con my, my con presence for sure. <laughs> All right, I have another miscellaneous item. And by the way, if you have items that aren't covered that you want to talk about, you got to throw them in there. But here's a miscellaneous uh, item, and it is a I'm, Star I'm Wars. I'm rarely worried about us running out of topics when you're in charge, Tom. God damn it! So here's a Star Wars item. I want to talk to you for a minute about the Clone Wars. Okay. It's Tell me true. about the Clone wanna, Wars. That's a, that's a cartoon I... that sucks that you like. And <laughs> I actually really like Rebels a lot more. But no, no. So I'm talking about um, a reveal that was made in advance of San Diego Comic-Con. That's the giant con that's happening right now, actually. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to hopefully do a separate episode yeah. talking about all the reveals from the, the show itself. Absolutely. Hopefully. We're going to do that in uh, October sometime, probably. Yeah, sometime. Um, Super prompt. But anyway, so they did this reveal in advance, about a week in advance, and it was that for the new uh, Star Wars movie coming out, that they have introduced a new stormtrooper called a Sith Trooper, and it is in a an armor that is like a cross between the new Star Wars movie stormtrooper armor and okay. the angular features of the Death armor that you saw in rogue one and a few other projects where there's some faceting and stuff to the so it's a very strange kind of combination of them and the armor is it's not even like a cherry red it's like a blood it's like a dark blood red it's a darker color than the emperor's guard and it's a darker color than snoke's guard but they're stormtroopers and so you know as with anything that is uh released devoid of context there's a lot of ways that could go, and I and I'm interested to see how they make it um, uh, make sense. But I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> it, it well, I think they've introduced you know, a new stormtrooper in every single episode of every movie of Star Wars, so they, I guess they have. That's surprising. No, no, that's true, and I really enjoy that. I lo- the action figure guy in me loves all the different versions that they come out with. So does However, the, the action figure maker guy. <laughs> <laughs> However, and the hot, and the hot toys maker, right? Well, yeah. But 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 the part about that I'm not sure is um, well, there's two things. One, all of the canon in the films and in the books, and I'm getting deeper into that now. 
suggests that the empire was almost entirely secular. Okay. And that the, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit in our, in our, um, Rumfield recommendations, but, um, they particularly talk about this in the books that the vast majority of the soldiers in the empire and, and the infrastructure that makes it work, the civilian infrastructure, and then even the military, um, believed very little of any of the Sith stuff. They mm-hmm. saw it as Palpatine is just, you know, claiming that he's a dark wizard from another world. Oh, that's, and that's a good point. Yeah. He's always referred to as Emperor Palpatine. He's not mm-hmm. the Sith that's running the show. It's right. the Emperor. It's post-Chancellor Emperor Palpatine. Done. And that all that hoodoo is is the thing that uh, despot leaders... Um, that man's just a crazy history. old wizard kind of stuff. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, well, specifically that they conjure up all of this smoke and mirrors to make them sem- themselves seem more um, uh, fantastical for the propaganda, but it's really just a guy in a robe. Right. Right. And so, and then you get to the, and so, so now you have this new, this new era of star Wars stories and you have, uh, you know, Snoke piloting Snoke of, of whatever origin he is piloting a mega, mega, mega destroyer thing. With this right. first order fleet that's come out of the the space beyond the outer rim, right wherever they've been hiding, <laughs> and he's got this whole new generation of stormtroopers, and it's this whole like terrorist group taking back the you know trying to trying to take rebuild the empire and all this, and we have we see a lot of these tropes that Abram Abrams put in for better or worse that are the retreads of all the other stuff that there's a there's a big bad and then there's his you know, dark Jedi, um, or a dark force wielding, um, uh, first, first officer kind of thing. And always two, there are (laughs) always two. But the thing is, the thing about that though, is that again, there's very little about in the official canon of those movies. There's very little of the infrastructure of the first order seeing force. Even, even if you accept force sensitive, stuff as something that they agree exists. Mm-hmm. There's very little of them seeing a bunch of magical immortal. Uh, no, that's the legitimate. Like, right. Like there's, they go very quickly from it being a forgotten religion. That's become a myth into just general practice and fully accepted that. Oh yeah. 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 You know, if you can, if you can crush this Coca-Cola can, you can go ahead and be one of our generals kind of thing. Like they, they make a super quick logic jump in those movies from that. Even well, but, when you yeah. take into consideration the time frame with stuff. Well, but even so I'm, I'm feeling like the, the, the majority of the people involved in the first order saw very little magical hijinks, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I really mean, like, the empire at large didn't because nobody ever saw the, the emperor except for Vader and his, his couple of higher ups. And yeah, I mean, right. if you think about it, there's still no real proof because Luke didn't do anything showy or anything like, yeah, it's just, it is kind of inexplicable that the force is suddenly so prominent again. Well, but they, and they talk about it in the movie a bit. And then they talk about this in the books too, that the majority, and that's what I love about, the expanded canon is that you get all of the stuff I've said so much that I love about Rogue One and and uh, projects like that, and even Han Solo. The, I love seeing the Star Wars world outside of the Skywalkers and 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 all the big stuff that we've been 
spoon fed for the last several decades, right? They, mm-hmm. they, they talk about how the regular population have varying degrees of acceptance about the reality of Jedi existing or not existing, even at the time when uh, the original trilogy occurs, right? Post right. Jedi, post Order sixty six, kill off all the Jedi, ancient history, and admittedly, Star Wars makes people forget things in thirty years that should really take a hundred years, right? Yeah, ancient is a really loose concept in the Star Wars universe, right? But they do a lot of work to suggest that um, the existence of Jedi is is not only were the Jedi killed off, but that the Empire did a lot of propaganda work to make you feel like that never even happened. It's all bullshit. Right. And the stability of the Empire has been forever, and the Old Republic was a disaster, and it's long gone, and the records are gone, and let's just move forward, which is a very... What happens when you don't have books, man? You can just get rid of anything. That's right. Anyone... That's right. It's one of the many... It's one of the more nuanced parallels with the Nazi stuff, right? The yeah. whole... Yeah. 1930s push towards kill everything that was the past and pretend it doesn't exist. And that's also a thread with Kylo Ren, very obviously, right? right? So what I find interesting about this Sith Trooper, getting to that, is that we oh, saw that the, at the end... Yes. <laughs> at the end, you son of a bitch, at the end of uh, Last Jedi, you see some big, some Jedi confrontation stuff, and you see mm-hmm. Kylo Ren and Luke and all this... But but again, there's only just a fringe amount of the overall First Order fleet is there, right? Right. And now we're going to step forward a year. They say it's going to be a year jump uh, between those events and the events of, of, Rise, of the, Rise of Skywalker. But okay. for there to be a stormtrooper, not a guard, not a, not a, like a, necessarily an elite uh, – because uh, in the past you had red armored guys that just protected the emperor or the leader, which is one thing. Right. But to have a stormtrooper that's red – and is called a Sith Trooper, suggests that in that time, Kylo Ren has gone full on, this is, I'm a Sith, this is what we're doing now. Right. And it's not that we're, you know, it's not that we're the, um, we're actually just law and order, and the rebels are scum, and actually we're the, we're actually the good guys, uh, propaganda that they've always had, that this is just going to be worse straight up bad guys, right? It's a blatant name, yeah, yeah. Right. Right, it just seems like, very on the on the face of it. So, I, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what they do, but that's the part that I'm struggling to see. Um, I hope that there's some story around this that suggests that. I that, mean, that, propag- that the mystic, token, the mystic there's propaganda has taken the name Sith Trooper that you're having problems with is literally just marketing material naming too. But you still have dark red, dark blood red armor. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, but that's not exclusively. Jedi colors. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it is. I'm saying the Empire has existed on the heels of, you know, adaptive stuff from the Clone Wars, but it's it's all been based on this this conceit that the Empire is a force of order and structure in the universe, and the story that we've always seen from the Rebel side that they're this big evil Empire is just <laughs> one side of it. But the even as we see them enslaving populations and doing horrible strip mining of planets and being very merciless in the big picture, the propaganda of the empire and what's fed to the people who operate within it is that this is a good thing and that this is structure and this is order and it's reasonable and it's for your benefit. But then when you have, uh, so the white stormtrooper coming out of the, the white clone clone trooper um, is one thing, but when you have a blood red armor, it, it's no different than if they were to say all of a sudden, all of the stormtroopers are going to be jet black. It's the same deal. It's really hard to argue that it's in your benefit. It's in your interest when all of the 
military force that's also civilian side peacekeeping, supposedly, are all in jet black. I guess so. I I guess I see what you're saying. But at the same time, like all of the the military costumery besides stormtroopers in the original trilogy were black. True. So I guess it just depends on what color aesthetic they subscribe to. (laughs) True. But it's a very distinct color. It's a choice. It's a deliberate choice to go red. And if that's a maybe it's just an elite type of trooper. But if they is the new if that's just the new color that all the stormtroopers are going to be in i feel like it's harder to make the uh to make the claim that this is a uh force that's anything other than a um occupying belligerent force in the galaxy yeah which is just just part of the story that i find interesting is the is the way in which the propaganda twists whether the rebels are good or bad whether the republic is good or bad and whether the empire is is the bad guy or not so anyway it's a whole lot about a red stormtrooper armor Interesting. Yeah, that's that's uh I think it'll look cool. I haven't seen the picture or anything, but really you, you such an evocative <laughs> picture. Uh no, I've I've really been off the internet for quite a while now because I've had so much work to do. So right now, Google Sith Trooper. Do it. I want you to see it. My computer hold on just a second. <laughs> Sith Oh, he's he's very red. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 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 drippy blood red. Yeah, that's interesting. this is the color of your insides red. <laughs> so you don't think okay. that's just the new uh, guard for Kylo? Again, they've never called the guards anything but a guard. An Imperial guard, right. Snoke's guard. They call hmm. it a trooper. Which suggests that it's in, in in volume. Although the Death Trooper was called a trooper, and it was the elite sort of tactical team. So I don't know. Like maybe it is just a, a splinter. Anyway, that's a whole lot of there. There, I could go on for hours. Let me tell you about Rebels. I really, I actually really like that piping along the edges yeah. on it. Like that's really I mean, interesting. There are a lot of interesting choices made. It's interesting to be both shiny, shine, high gloss blood red, but also have facets because you'd yeah. almost. It almost feels like that color, you could see them putting it on the very curvy uh, aspects of those armors, and it would be um, evocative of biomechanics and stuff. Yeah. Man, that's really cool looking. Uh, Yeah, I think that that'd be really hard to keep clean with all those little grooves, but I guess they get (laughs) Q-tips right? (laughs) (laughs) Maintenance issues. They have slaves for that. Bring in the Rodian (laughs) slaves. slaves. They don't have slaves, do they? Of course they do. The Empire, is, <laughs> the Empire and the First Order enslaved countless people. If you and I existed in that universe, they're we'd just be called slaves. they're just called indentured orphans. They're not called slaves. <laughs> yes, <laughs> We're, what what did they say in uh, in um, Ragnarok? Oh, uh, the Snoke's guards were called the Praetorian Guard. Yes, is what they were called. Yeah, I remember that. And in Ragnarok, she calls what was the whole deal in Ragnarok that they weren't slaves; they were. Um, Ooh, people, gladiators? No, no they like had workers. Yeah. Workers who have no <laughs> workers who don't have a choice or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have uh, another. Um, uh, beginning in Blake is imminent, apparently. So, um, a couple of quick items. The uh, controversy. Um, the post Idris Elba uh, James Bond controversy has 
splintered into two directions. One being that his character in that Hobbs and Shaw spinoff who says I'm black Superman was originally scripted to say I'm black James Bond. And then they changed it because he was like, I don't want to feed the hype of that, of that, okay. uh, of that propaganda, which is kind of funny to me because it is exactly what it's trying to do. And I then know if uh, I totally buy that either because he's way more Superman than James Bond in that movie from what I've seen. True. And it could have even been just a gag that he was like, no, um, it does. It feels a lot. Um, it feels a lot better as Superman. But uh, anyway, the other thing is that they, they, you know, a number of uh, reports have said that in the new James Bond movie, 007 will be played by Lashana Lynch. Right. Which is interesting. The actress who was in Captain Marvel. And so, you know, one half of the internet, internet's upset because it's a black woman. One half. As they do. The other half is upset that it's a black person. The third half is upset that it's a woman. And the fourth half is upset because they don't like the idea of 007 being a code name that's applied to other people besides James Bond. Which is stupid because it's kind of already been that for ages. But yes, the, the I like all of this. The James Bond name was also a code right. name. Right. Which I prefer personally, but whatever. Me too. Me too. I, I, have no I real love it about it i think the idea of it being a different spy is totally awesome and i think that's the best way to progress the the series i have high doubts that this is a character that would survive this story i feel like with this production company they will find a way of making it that she will either be killed or fall apart and he'll be lured back into it and you know he'll ultimately take it back in the third act or some shit but I yeah, wish like they would. I'm 100 percent okay with this, but I agree. I think that that's what's going to happen. I would love it for her to be the 007, and he's an independent contractor coming out of retirement. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I just yeah, yeah. I want yeah, I want I, it to be more red and less, uh, you know, James Bonds of movies past. But yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. The other thing I think is fun is uh, curious is that supposedly the script around this movie is centering around genetic engineering. And I wonder the degree to which that, which seems to want to say, that seems to be broadcasting super soldier, if you say genetic Mm -hmm. engineering. Um, When Hobbs and Shaw is coming out and it is taking the concept of a super soldier and applying it to a a over-the-top action movie, spy-centered comedy action movie, I wonder if that influences how this script develops. If they were going for a super soldier direction and then are veering away from it and it's going to be something entirely different gene editing in a different way it's it's interesting to me that that's supposed to be the topic of it but it takes place in jamaica which isn't typically thought of as a high tech research area for genetic research and whatnot that's interesting you are as racist as as beginning in blake simmons hey hey how many laboratories do you know of in jamaica Name one. At least. <laughs> <laughs> Name one piece of tech that you know came from Jamaica. <laughs> That's easy. Red stripe beer cans. A spliff. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I think it's interesting. I, I, you're right. That's well. Who knows? But but hey, listen. In the in the post human world, there are black labs nestled the throughout. Black tomato. <laughs> nope. Nestled throughout the region. So. 
Maybe they're maybe they're stealing from me. You know what? I you know when I just asked you to name a, a tech lab that takes place in Jamaica, you just did the equivalent of saying that you have a black friend by saying that in your world <laughs> you have a tech lab in Jamaica. <laughs> is inappropriate man <laughs> you're trying to wrestle away the control of this narrative and i don't like it i'm so glad i picked this moment to join <laughs> oh, you're, you're it's our space well friend. established <sighs> beginning in blake simmons uh chris is you come into this and chris is trying to make me sound bad uh i don't think he has to try uh, yeah, he, Damn it. you don't need any help from me, brother. <laughs> I can't believe what you've done. But but, but that said... Make me I'm look bad in front of my friends. <clears throat> I'm here to make everything so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you're here, Blake. I haven't talked to you in ages. How you doing, man? Good, how are you? Hanging in there. Uh, I'm still living next door to our convertible house. Oof. Looking for... Uh... <laughs> so, yeah, you know, life uh, life is a journey. <laughs> uh we were just talking about the uh rumors that lashana lynch is the new 007 and how four halves of the internet um are all outraged and different reasons for that and how we think it's pretty much a good thing except for where uh chris thinks that you should be able to have technology existing in jamaica <laughs> well there you go that's that's a very specific retelling of my interpretation but sure i'll take that <laughs> But uh, at least we're liberated in our worldview, you know. But, yeah, it, it's really all about the money. It's all about the money. <laughs> I, I think that Jamaica is just visually arresting, and that's why they chose that island. But yeah. you know, well, yeah, the trailer actually looks really cool for that. But even <laughs> even in the context of the James Bond stories, they've 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 hidden super secret <laughs> villain labs in really exotic, weird places they shouldn't be, just as a, as like a reason to have. Yeah, just the reason to have stuff. a different scenery. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, to be fair, like half of the James Bond movies consist of like top secret labs at the top of ski lifts and in resorts and casinos and whatnot. So, yeah, that is accurate. Blake, did you see that at San Diego Comic-Con, Amazon put together a 60,000 square foot interactive what do they call them? Activation center. I hate that name, but a little, little, uh, What's an walled off area. Yeah. It's a little space where they've been doing that at the show for years now, where you go in and you walk around the set of a particular show and interact with actors who are pretending to be the characters in the, in that world. Uh, okay. You know, so yeah. they just did one for the expanse. And so oh, it's really? supposed to be, it's supposed to be the base camp for the illus, uh, colony in, uh, Oh, wow. In uh, Chibola Burn. That's cool. And because they're preparing to launch season four on Amazon. And so, you know, they're introducing people to the concept that this is a frontier Western um, season for the expanse and all this. And they showed a Mm -hmm. few photos from the new season and some other stuff. And how great is that in general? Did they manage to keep most of the cast when they went over to Amazon? The entire cast. No kidding. That's amazing. All that survived (laughs) the story. And... (laughs) And is equally important, uh, the majority of the production staff. See, that's that's the big question. Yeah, that's cool. Huh. The, um, no, the, the producer. They've got a, they've got a really nice, uh, strong crew top to bottom there. And um, 
I, I'm ecstatic that they're able to keep the core together to do this new um, season and beyond. I hope. Yeah, that's because uh, I just I just rewatched the majority of uh, seasons one, two, and three, and I just cannot wait. It is a yeah. I'm on eye opening uh, how well they did. Mm-hmm. What do you say? Yeah, Chris? I'm finally getting into into that show now. So finally, <laughs> in 2032, well, you could read the books too, and then see just see how well they've done at uh adapting something as expansive so to speak as that story into a show yeah. like that and make it that quality well especially when they when they're condensing like two books into three episodes and, <laughs> and actually uh, making it uh, coherent it's a yeah. it's a testament to how game of thrones should have been but uh, i digress <laughs> <laughs> well and also i thought the other thing is I know that they showed a, a, a concept art last year that suggested landing on a planet, but I was really wondering, and, and I certainly think they're probably going to condense the Illus storyline um, uh, so that we see some more spacey political stuff. But I think I was just surprised and pleased to see that they're actually going forward and at least telling that story because I can really see – I could have seen that as the kind of thing that they would have stripped out of the TV adaptation because it really is mm-hmm. a divergence for them. Um, space colony space colony problems is not what the TV version of Expanse has been about, and they're going to make it make sense. And they've made some specific changes to that story to allow the entire crew to be on the planet and all that kind of stuff, which is different than the books. But I, I don't know. I think it's it's exciting just to see how close we are to it being released. When is it uh, coming out? Uh, yes. <laughs> Good. Thank you for the clarity. I don't know exactly. I thought it was next year, but I'm not positive. I don't know. Not soon enough. I thought let's it, put it that way. I thought it was uh, would, this winter. I would assume if they've got this giant display at the Comic Con, probably we're going to release a trailer with a date on it this weekend at some point. I hope so. I hope they've so. got well, we trailers have... galore coming out. So we're we're um we're uh, we're in for a lot of Comic Con stuff. Uh, after this weekend, probably our next show, we'll be talking about that in more detail. Yeah, I think if we um, can do the next show all Comic Con stuff, I think that'd be cool. The um, uh, I, I got to say the uh, the Top Gun trailer. Oh, oh my God, that is mackerel. a that is a weak trailer, man. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what did you guys think of that? Because I had some very specific reactions to it, but I want to know what you I think first. Don't like Top Gun anyway, so I'm probably not the best judge. But he looks really good for as old as he is. <laughs> Way to practice diversity and inclusion there, Chris. That's awesome. You realize that Tom Cruise and Blake are like the same age, right? I know. Look how good he looks. He looks almost as good as Blake. I, I, I you know, when they're giving out, when they're giving out, you know, the handoff, like, what are you going to do? Uh, I had uh, questionable morals and uh, underappreciated intellect, and then he got everything else. So, so he got the the alien based religions and the look and the money and the steroids and the steroids. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, got, I was I I got hope, um, mismanaged expectations, and uh, horrible youth. And he didn't, <laughs> he didn't get the, the need. He didn't get the need for speed. <laughs> Oh, I have the need for speed. I just don't have any resources to attain it. <laughs> I was just I was just refilling my beverage, and I heard Blake talking loosely about when they were handing out hand jobs to Tom Cruise and why he. No, no, no! Wow. I think that's what he said. 
That's pretty you're back. That, don't don't mind Tom. That's just the belief system he he has in as far as the creation <laughs> but, story. He I, I think it's more projecting his own circum circumstances in Indonesia. I just, you know, that's all I'm saying. So now you're saying, so now you're saying it's about circumcision. That's a, that's a very specific political problem here. Indonesian I can't believe you went there. <laughs> Squeeze me? Squeeze me? Baking powder? What? Speaking of squeezing circumcisions, don't, Blake, don't what, what is your, what is your drink of choice tonight? You coming in late to our sucking the monkey segment? <laughs> uh, my drink is uh, the bitter tears of a misspent youth. Okay. Um, or and what form does that known, take? Otherwise known as Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Chardonnay, the sophisticated man's. Uh, the sophisticated Sob man's. Club. Club. <laughs> oh, John, Jennifer Connolly's in Top Gun too. I'm suddenly more interested in it. Uh, you know, but at the same time, it looks like she's playing a Top Gun a type. No, a mechanic. Uh, so she's going to wear trailer, a jumpsuit? A, a no, clingy jumpsuit? In the trailer, jumpsuit. she's just like, oh, hey, hair flip as he goes by. I didn't even recognize her in the trailer. But, okay, so let's put all the misogyny aside for a moment. Um, the the scenes from the fight deck and the planes, because I, I mean, I am a military geek, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those were phenomenal. They did look really good. Yeah. They, they, they had the, the realism that I haven't seen in like that type of movie in a really long time. Like you could feel the, 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 the force as it was accelerating. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure, uh, those are not green screen. I'm pretty sure they put him in the pit well, and let him uh, do what he does. <laughs> He's just like, I, hey guys, I have a fighter jet. Can I just use I, it? You know, can I bring my own? <laughs> I, just, I, I, I borrowed John Travolta's. Uh, just, I, I I would, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it in reverse so they don't notice the mileage. Showed up you on set in a fighter I, jet and was I, like, guys, just, I have an idea. <laughs> I could just imagine him. Bringing his iPhone and putting on one of those little the little things to stick on the stick on mounts and trying to film his own session for them and it just flies up flies up against the you know like high velocity projectile into the back of the cockpit when he takes off. Uh, according to we, friend of the podcast, we put, uh, no, we we, we put the pit in cockpit. That's right. <laughs> we put the pit in cockpit. Uh, according to uh, friend of the podcast uh, Blair, he says. He says that he read or, or heard or something gleamed from the bones from Predator 2 that uh, Tom Cruise actually uh, performed that. And uh, no, no co-pilot, no co-pilot. He's in the cockpit flying, taken off from the aircraft carrier, flying low to the water and all that stuff. I find that to be very difficult to believe. I, I don't know. I mean, he did all his own stunts for all these Mission Impossible movies and stuff, too. He's pretty anal about it. Ah, that's a key word. <laughs> By Zeno. Flying a whatever it is these days off of a aircraft carrier? I don't know. Well, he may have done the flying, but it may not have been on an aircraft carrier. <laughs> like, you know, nothing's impossible. Trump is president, so, you know. <laughs> that's that's disputed, man. Uh, <laughs> hey, there was a there are a few <laughs> other uh, there are a few other quick trailers I wanted to mention before we get off this topic. Um, no. Did you guys watch the Katie Sackhoff uh, project called Another Life? Did you see that trailer? I have not. Yes, I've, I have. I've seen it show up in my feed, but I haven't watched it yet. 
I admit to a certain degree of skepticism whenever some project is made for these channels right after we talk about how wonderful expanse is. But when I see the promo material for a project and then I find out it's, yeah, well you see this thing and then it says it's going to Netflix. Yeah. I I hope it's good, but um, I don't know. Netflix has had such a weird like bounce as far as that's concerned. Like a lot of the stuff is stuff that they've picked up after the fact and so they they have that cinematic quality to them like buster shrugs and whatnot and then there's other ones that yeah they they feel like they're made on a tv budget and they have a totally different feel it's it's really hit and miss for me yeah me too and the thing is about this trailer is you're not seeing a lot of material in what they show you to give you a sense of what's going to make it different than a whole host of aliens aliens mission missions into space to deal with an alien problem we've had like 15 of those stories in the last few years many of which have have been katie sackoff that's what makes it different but they're banking on her from battlestar galactica pulling you into it but what i want to see is something in the set design and the character design and everything else to give it something unique and right now it does not look unique and so that's why i haven't watched the trailer like the three screenshots that have shown up on the different ones they all look super generic to me and so i haven't clicked up any of them yeah and i and i i I hope i'm wrong but here's what didn't here's the here's the nail in the coffin in the space coffin that made me feel like maybe all it has going for it is trading on her pedigree is that they actually have a photo of her in a tank top <laughs> it's like if you have to put katie Sackoff in a battlestar galactica tank top then you know that it doesn't have a voice of its own i maybe maybe i'm wrong don't, don't you know that she I'm only usually the wears optimist. tank tops it's it's part of her rule it's in it's in her writer that she's only allowed to wear tank tops it's like uh <laughs> it's like harrison ford and bruce willis now right they just show up you know, yeah <laughs> they're wearing yeah, really. i was gonna say the rock oh yeah for sure you can you know, um, work in the tank tops yeah that's true uh, so another one uh, that came earlier this week that I think um, kind of blew past a lot of people's radar is the Orbital Era. Did you see the teaser for that? The what? No. It's called the Orbital Era, and it's a new um, OAV or you know animated movie by uh, Katsuhiro Atomo. So it's mm. from the creator of Akira, and it's space station stuff. And mm. in the trailer, this in this teaser trailer, you see a skateboard floating and then it bounces off the side of a space station and then you and then it closes in on a shot of a guy in a russian spacesuit holding the skateboard and i mean who I knows have, and who cares like, it's going to be amazing whatever it is i have such little patience for animated stuff if it's not like a, a stop motion these days like i haven't mm-hmm. i i just i don't know like i i've have a really hard time getting into animated stuff lately I still haven't seen Into the Spider Verse, and I am painfully oh. excited about that movie. So yes. yeah, I don't. I haven't and, seen that. And that's at on all. Netflix now, by the way. So you can get right. I to just it. noticed that actually. Yeah, I added it this morning to my queue. Um, okay, and uh, so another one that came out this week is the first trailer for King's Man, mm-hmm. which we've talked pri- prior uh. about how there's hope that this could be better and more interesting than the uh, what they did with the main franchise what do you think did you see it anybody i was very pleasantly surprised i i i'm going to be optimistic about it i still have lots of doubts but I'm yeah me too yeah yeah i honestly i think 
It's got great, I, great finds. I started watching it without realizing that that's what it was. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't read the header on it. I just saw the 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 thumbnail that it showed me on YouTube was just some dudes in some sweet uh, gas the gas mask shot. I was yeah. like, well, I don't know what movie this. This is, but I'll watch it. And then when it revealed the Kingsman shop, I was like, "Oh, a Kingsman movie! I'm interested in seeing." <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking this, and I've had this uh, um, experience about some other stuff over the last year. This is another example of where I would have loved to have been in some environment where I could have seen that trailer without the context for it and yeah. without knowing that it was a Kingsman movie. Yeah, I was um, really happy. It would be I more enjoyable. That. It was. It was. I really. Like it made me very interested in the movie in a way that it wouldn't have had I known it was a sequel. Right, right. Um, another, I guess, technically. Continuing this theme um, from the the first two, um, and not or the previous two, and not Kingsman, but um, there was a trailer released a few weeks ago for uh, a series for Apple, I think, and it's called For All Mankind. Have you guys hey. seen that? Mm-mm. I'm totally so unfamiliar with that. This is a series being done for, and I think it's for Apple, and it's by Ron Moore, who did Battlestar. So it's related to the Sackoff thing. And it has, um, uh, its premise is that the, it's an alternate history kind of deal where it's all set up like the right stuff. And you see everyone watching the TV and everyone's staring wrapped as the footage of the landers landing on the moon. Huh? Oh, never mind. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. And then (laughs) the right stuff. And then, and then, and then, and then the reveal is that they're watching them, the the Russians land, and the America's behind. And so the premise of the show is the space race is retroactive, and they're or uh, not retroactive. It's um, they're they're playing catch up, and they're going to aim farther. And so it's Man, race this, to Mars early. The alternate timeline thing is so hot these days. I love it. Well, that's the only way you can give yourself creative freedom. Yeah, I guess right? that's true. Yeah, yeah. That, so they, they have to go there because the 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 fan people, canon worshippers, are going to trash yeah, them if they don't. That's right? true. I mean, anything yeah, historical yeah. these days gets picked to pieces. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Well, the two things I liked about it was that it's at least in what you see in the in the promo material, it's heavily grounded in what is attempting to look like period. Uh, period mm-hmm. uh, space tech, right? It really does look mm-hmm. like you're watching the right stuff until you figure out what they're doing. And the other thing, it has Kinnaman in it, who's an actor I really like, even though sometimes he's miscast. Um, well, like we'll just we'll just uh, forget about RoboCop, right? <laughs> and right, and we're, uh, yeah, we're going uh, to pass. If only and I you could. liked him in, and you liked him in Altered Carbon, right? And I felt like I did, I did, I saw the that. I only saw the first step, and I and I was like, I don't know if I believe him in this role. I don't oh, know. Yeah, I did Maybe see I only liked him in one role, or whatever. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, that's why I appreciate it because he he went out on a limb, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't like him in Suicide Squad particularly for the character he was playing. Oh um, yeah, that's what that's what I, I know. I, I didn't like anything about Suicide Squad. Yeah, really. Better. You liked hot pants. I like no, no, the only thing the only thing I liked about it was the uh, closing credits. Uh, okay. I see. You you made it to those? <laughs> I I vaguely remember throwing up right about then. <laughs> <laughs> Syncopated vomiting to the tunes of Twenty One Pilots. In the it's closing sort of credits. like you, you know what they say with uh, Pink Floyd and uh, the Wizard of Oz, right? Mm-hmm. 
only way worse. <laughs> <laughs> so much more chunk. Yeah, way, well, it, it, but it had a great mouthfeel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so terrible. Technicolor yawning. Well, so, but, but you know what? Like when I think about it, I probably the only role that I really liked him in is in House of Cards, but I really liked him in that. So I'm maybe that's so colored in positively in a way that doesn't that he hasn't earned. But wait, wait, you didn't like the rain? The rain. The the first show that got him on the scene. I think it was called the the Killing. But it was, oh, uh, I but didn't it see the was, It was in Seattle and it was all just really dramatic movies and photos of the rain in Seattle. Oh, I see. <laughs> I'm sure he did a great job. I can see him wet frequently. The sogging. And the also, have you seen him in Hannah? Because he's actually really good in Hannah. The I have TV not seen show Hannah. or the movie? The TV show. I haven't seen ah, the TV okay. show. Is it worth watching? I, I like the, the movie a lot. It is. Well, it, yeah, it. It's a good TV show, but it's okay. a killing. It was a killing from uh, 2011 to 2014. Yeah, yeah. But everybody just called it the rain. That's not the one with Kevin Bacon, is it? Nope. What was that? Oh, that one's called Following. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> the following and the sogging. The sogging. Yeah, the the sacking. <laughs> the moist. I have another related. The I have moist. another related trailer. The moist. Did you guys? That would be a great TV show just for it, right? The moist. Just the moist. The moist. <laughs> Speaking of making me moist, did you watch the Ad Astra trailer? Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, yes, but I had I had a very different physiological reaction. I, I I have no interest in it for some reason. It looks really boring to me. Brad Pitt, baby. No, you don't like no. looking for Space Daddy. What's wrong with looking for Space Daddy? But it's, but it's Tommy Lee Jones. I, it is well. I still, you know, no matter what he does in his career ever, all I'll ever think about with him is that story of Jim Carrey um, going up to him during the filming of uh, of that Batman movie and seeing him in a restaurant and going up to him and like, hey, hey, I'm in the movie. He's like, stop. <laughs> that's, do you know that story? That have you heard that? No. That he was like so. He was so not into. He just like so reclusive and doesn't want anything to do with anything. And Jim Carrey, just like all rubber rubber face era, Jim Carrey finds him in a restaurant. It's like, hey, we're in the movie together. Blah blah blah. He's like, not another word or whatever. There's some signature thing he said that is like memorialized in that story. I can't remember, but he was basically just shut him down. Like I can't even. Just don't talk. Just like just do not talk. Fuck you. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I choose to believe it's going to be great. I understand if you're not into space, Tommy Lee Jones, maybe no, I, I, in the. But but I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go see it because it looks phenomenal, right? From the cinematography and music standpoint. Yeah. But I, you know, astronauts with daddy issues. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's my issue too. Right. I, I I saw that with Contact. I don't need to see it again. Yeah, yeah. I see. Well, maybe <laughs> I just steps. feel like maybe it's going to be more baby steps. I, I think it's going to be more than that. I think it's going to have something different going on than than what that basic setup is. So, so but 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 what I like about it, it, it kind of uh, reminds me of a version of Heart of Darkness slash Apocalypse yes. Now, but yes. instead yeah. instead instead of you know looking for 
Colonel Kane or whatever it is, um, it's actually his dad that goes rogue and goes nuts, right? He's looking for Colonel Clink. Colonel, Colonel Clink. Clink in the jungles, yes. <laughs> the, the brave story of Sergeant Stoltz defying all odds <laughs> and tapestries to come to grips with his creator. Very different story. Now that's a novella like, right there. That, that's yeah, like, yeah. That's it's an the kind of thing that you would see right there. Yeah, you'd see it on a billboard in those Batman v Superman era movies. No, I think you'd only see it like at the Folsom Street Festival. That would be it. The Folsom. <laughs> All right. Well, the last one I wanted to briefly mention is uh, because I don't know that we've talked about it yet. Maybe we have. Um, is that they did that teaser for Westworld season three? No, oh. uh, I was I was really into it. Wait, wait, isn't it season two? Season no, three. season two yeah. was the last season. Yeah, this is season three. Mm. Or are you pretending like that one doesn't exist? No, you caught up. You you saw it. You're not. No, yeah, no. I, He's not editorializing. Okay. Are you freezing all motor functions? <laughs> See, I love no, it. So, I, so, so I was into the trailer. I think the trailer looked good, but the Sesame Street one was even better. <laughs> Oscar the Grouch kills everyone. <laughs> Did you see that? Have you seen? Oh, that? it was great. Uh, Sesame Street tie-in with Westworld and is who is it? Is it Cookie Monster? I think it's Cookie uh, Monster. I thought it was Oscar the Grouch. Elmo. I think maybe Elmo. Whatever no, Elmo was, was the right. Game of Thrones one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. It was Cookie Monster. Yeah, you're right. It's season three on Westworld. Damn. Well, <laughs> uh, Sesame Street tie-ins aside, I'm really excited about a the inversion of the story where the robotics in the real world are not at rem- are not remotely humanoid and intended to be a cipher for uh being an emotional mirror or anything like that and they're really just utilitarian can't even speak they don't even they don't even speak and yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's really going to be very interesting for yeah. to have all of the to have all of the um uh hosts in that environment at the end of season 2 with the anime shirt that says his emotions on it you can't that's right that. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, at the end of season two, it was all about going to the world and kill them all. And so this will be interesting to see what the invert, the inversion of that story is. And they also <laughs> said earlier this week that there's going to be a fair amount of it is uh, Dolores going out to the, the modern old West and seeing how it's just wallpapered with Walmarts and shit. So that could be fun. <laughs> Cyber Walmarts, I guess. So, robots go to, ta- no, no, robots go to Tequila. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I think it might be time for our main event. Main event. Main event. The El Royale is a bi-state establishment. You have the option to stay in either the great state of California or the great state of Nevada. Warmth and sunshine to the west or hope and opportunity to the east. Which would you prefer? What's the difference? (laughs) <laughs> so we're, we're going to talk about uh, a film we all saw really recently, Yay. very fresh in our minds, which is called... I saw it like three months ago. <laughs> yes. oh, wait, wait, we're talking about <laughs> Bad Boys 3, right? That's right, <laughs> Bad Boys 3. Is that the one with uh-huh. Taya Leone? Whatever happened no. to Taya Leone? Man, she had some <laughs> great legs. Was she? Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Just marginalized half of our audience right there. So was she what, married to David Duchovny? I'm sorry. Or? I'm sorry, Tia. Don't hold it against me. It was Chris. Don't hold it against me, Tia. So 
hold it against me. That's the thing they say that's a pun about other things. Was she married to David no, Duchovny, or was that, it just a thing? In central lockup. What? <laughs> was she? Was she married to David Duchovny, or was that just a thing for a time? Daily, I, mean, I don't know. I think she was married to. No, him. they were married. They were married. Yeah. I don't know. I, I honestly don't think I've seen it, her in anything since that. No, she was in that really bad uh, end of the world movie. Um, At Astra. The, uh, no, no, I'm going to light this <laughs> rocket. Um, can you see my rocket? No. What are you talking about? No. Hold on. <laughs> Dude, where's my rocket? Yeah. I'm going to light this rocket. Um, Have you seen my rocket? This is amazing. <laughs> Have you seen I my rocket? <laughs> no, no. It, it's really not that bad. <laughs> deep impact. Deep impact. Oh, is, that the, the, is that the other asteroid one? Yes. The one without Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> I just no, no, there, there's this. a scene. <laughs> uh, Wait a minute. Isn't, isn't uh, Liv Tyler in that the, the Brad Pitt yeah, with the, asteroid with, movie that's with coming ben out? Affleck, like, with Ben Affleck. Yeah. 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 Um, is she just in every like, spacey asteroid movie now? Oh. I'm going to light my rocket, comma, have you seen my rocket? Have you no. seen my so rocket? It's Ron, it's Ron Eldard. Uh, he plays a character. Um, let's see. <laughs> uh, Oren Monash. And he gets That's blinded. That's a sweet name. He, he, gets, he gets blinded on the mission. And on their final scene, when they're saying goodbye to everyone, he's got the bandage over his eyes and he's got a little space shuttle in his hand. He's like, look at my rocket, son. Look at my rocket. I shit you not. Go take a look <laughs> at it. And it's, it's like one of the most awkward, weird scenes in uh, apocalypse history. Wait, okay. This it's, was like, it's, almost as, it's almost as good as a shake weight in um, Rock. <laughs> Wait, but, but not, but not self-aware. So was this, this was deep impact. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> you know what that reminds me of was when, do you remember when what's his name who was on that one show, Hill Street Blues? Not Hill Street Blues. What was that show? What was that guy on that show? Five on order. Just for the record, I'm giving up on this entire line of query. Sex in the City. Like... <laughs> oh man, the redheaded guy that was on that show in the David in Caruso. The, David Caruso. David Caruso, and Ron he was Howard? on that show. David Caruso was on what was the show he was on? Not Hill Street Blues. It was on some show. And it CSI? Started, it went for No, it went for he several years. Tonight. What? The Heat of the Night. <laughs> Not the Heat of the Night. Miami Vice? Um, he was CSI on that. Miami. Romancing no, the Stone. Before CSI Miami. NYPD Blue. First, NYPD Blue. NYPD, NYPD Blue. Blue. Okay. So he was on NYPD Blue. He was in the first season. There's this all there's points to this sort of. He was on then he was on NYPD Blue first season. He was too big for his britches. He said, I'm done with this. I'm gonna have a I'm gonna be a movie star. So he quit the show right as it was getting uh very popular at the end of the first season, and he went on to start his movie career and immediately imploded. He did the movie Jade, and then he did some other movie where uh he was like a cop in the movie, and there was this mo- this scene in this movie that I will always remember with him where it was like he had to improvise and he had to do it terribly. So there was a little kid on a seesaw and he's supposed to be emoting to this kid. Like maybe the kid's parents were killed or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, kiss of and death. the kid's on the seesaw. Kiss of death. You think a kiss of death. Kiss of death. And the kid's on the seesaw and then he's kind of pushing the seesaw, the other half of the seesaw for the kid. And he says, mm-hmm. there you go. In that little boy, in that way he does, he goes, there you go. It's a space yeah. ride. And you I thought, have- and I remember dying. 
I remember dying because the best he could do was it's a space ride. So he's telling the kid to fantasize about being on a different form of conveyance than the one he's on, <laughs> but not the actual <laughs> rocket, just the ride on the rocket. Yes. And the, <laughs> so the amazing like thing that. is that so nobody remembers it. There's Sam Jackson, Nicolas Cage, Helen Hunt, Bing Rames, and Stanley Tucci all in that movie. Wow. And I remember Helen was Hunt just, was Helen Hunt was, was mercilessly dispatched and they thought it was going to be one of those, you know shocking things they do that here's this actress that everyone loves and she's killed and and it actually completely flopped mm-hmm. nobody actually you didn't cared. care at all that it happened to her no no it was like a a, a pancake feed at uh, hosted by the pope just the worst <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of pancake feeds bad times at the el royale oh yeah so we're going to talk about this movie uh, wet lunch and before we talk about the hot, wet lunch of this movie, I would like to ask you, <laughs> what did you <laughs> what, what did you think this movie was going to be when you saw the trailer for it? I, I actually thought it was going to be approximately what it was. <laughs> I like, thought it was going to be um, a lot like Identity. Everybody remember that movie? Yeah, I remember that. I thought it was going to be one of those uh, multiple layered stories that uh, kind of a mind twist. And then, the, you know, either, either the usual suspects or identity. That's what I thought. Uh, uh, My wife expected uh, a lot more Tarantino-esque uh, four rooms type thing. She expected a lot more uh, Chris Hemsworth wearing uh, no shirts. Yeah. Yes. They, they certainly played that up a lot more in the, in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Well, but imagine if you had seen that movie and they didn't do that in the trailer. Imagine if he showed up. And it I was thought it was Chris Pine in the trailer. I genuinely didn't Did realize you? it was Hemsworth. No, that was Wonder Woman. <laughs> yes. Same exact scene. Uh, but I mean, if that movie oh, had way different, way different impact, but same. <laughs> yeah, thing. really. If you're watching that movie and you didn't know that was going to happen in the back half, and all of a sudden Hemsworth shows up as a cult leader, doing that whole shtick he was doing, I think it would have been a really interesting surprise. But knowing it was yeah, going to happen, so um, it was it was sort of, it was way better than Hemsworth in Men in Black. Okay. I saw and told that. me you told me about that last week or last time in, in quite a bit of detail. I believe you. Um, this movie would have been better with Tessa Thompson in it. Everything's Probably. better with Tessa Thompson in it. Correct. Not Men in Black. <laughs> Was it worse with being... Tessa Thompson in it, though? Uh, I can't imagine. See? So it's better with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah, I feel just... like in the trailers, you got the sense that this was made, this was going to be a love letter to Tarantino. I think what, um, in my experience watching it, I felt Tarantino like... Tarantino meets Coen Brothers is what I was picturing. Well, Man, I wait, felt, wait, we're talking about Men in Black? No, no the we're talking bad about times bad, bad times with the hot wet lunch. I feel oh, like yes. I feel like it was it felt when actually watching it it was more like someone watched a Tarantino movie and emulated it but didn't understand some of the nuance for better or worse that really underpins uh, what makes his movies good. I don't know. Um, I honestly think that the guy that cut the trailer for it felt that way, but I don't know that the the, the writer or director necessarily had their eye on anything Tarantino esque. It had a very vintage noir feel to it to me. I thought it was Tarantino. No, it reminded me a lot of uh, what happens when a a bad screenwriter stalks a good screenwriter, kills him in the toilet, and then steals a script and then finishes it. That's <laughs> what you had. Doesn't rewrite on it. (laughs) 
yeah. think that's uh, Rob, yeah, Rob like, like I feel like the direction was good, but the script was not. Yeah. <laughs> Another classic brought to you by Steve Mnuchin. <laughs> the, the set so, design was amazing. It was. Yeah. Um, some of it is very heavy-handed in the sense that uh, the line, the con- the conceit of this hotel, which is which is legit, right? I mean, it's based on a mm-hmm. on a on a real place, but the conceit that there's this thick line running across the property that in the plot is oh this side is nevada this side's california but also it's limbo purgatory you know all this other stuff overlayered onto it yeah i just thought it was cool looking yeah it it was (laughs) well from a set design standpoint it was amazing i just felt like there was so much about this movie it's this is one of those ones where i get frustrated by the lack the missed potential because i thought that there was some opportunity here to tell a story that was really interesting but they set up a story that they don't they don't pay off in the back half of it, right? They set it up to be a really great story, except it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's fascinating to me because Goddard can write some great stuff. Yes. Like he did the screenplay for The Martian, The Cabin in the Woods. He wrote right. nine episodes of Lost. He did a oh, bunch yeah. of episodes of an angel i don't understand why the like the dialogue was so bad in this it was really stilted it was very strange dialogue you're right yeah very heavy handed what what was it what was the source material for it was it a book or i don't know he wrote it um it says it's written by bad times uh there's no story credit beyond that so he's got i thought it was an original i thought it was an original script i think it must have been so the, the 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 blame lies solely on his shoulders yeah, because he directed it as well. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, I mean, think. Of, let's structure this a certain way. So, basic premise: hotel on the border between Nevada and California, where half of the hotel is on one side, half of the hotel is on the other side. It's a shtick about the kind of room you stay in. It's based on a real place, uh, and you have the framework of the story is seeing it in the past and then seeing it in the present, and a bunch of noirish. Uh, mysterious stuff going on with a bunch of strangers coming into the hotel with murky noirish backstory that and being cagey and then everything sort of implodes on itself and then yeah it was set in 1969 yes yes 1969 so uh do you want to talk a little bit about the cast or just kind of kind of dive in because i wrote a shit ton of my my scalpy scribbles but um it's not in any particular order. Do you want to talk about I mean, cast first? I mean, we, we can talk about the cast. I thought it was – so, again, we've seen a series of these just as an overview, right, where the, they have a right. great assembled assembled cast, yes. right? Um, and it's and kind Dakota of like – Johnson. Like, oh, uh-huh. you know, John Hamm, Jeff Bridges, right? Mm-hmm. The, those are pretty good. And actually um, – Dick Offerman. Yeah. And somebody else was supposed to be in it that they they offered uh, Tom Holland the the little kid the kid role yeah, and then right when he take it they cast his evil doppelganger that looks just like Tom Holland <laughs> yeah but it was one of those you know these these cast offs uh, thrown together in a movie and uh, a great cast to do it mm-hmm. and it just it just fell apart yeah right? yeah it never gelled. Yeah. Uh, it's, 
I, it, it boggles my mind that the same person wrote this story that directed it because it feels yes. like the director misinterpreted the script and thought it was a lot more important than it was, but it's the same friggin' guy that wrote the script. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because it reminds me of, I mean, we, we different accept true romance, different medication. So we accept true romance. We, we accept true romance for what, it, for what it ended up being. And, and it was successful. But if you mm-hmm. imagine true romance f- filmed by Tarantino and not by Tony Scott, it would be a very yeah. different, visually a very different movie with a different totally type of different pacing. Film. Yeah, and that's the one thing about true romance when you watch it. There's a lot of really cool uh, imagery and a lot of cool stuff that's very Tony Scottish about the urgency about how the lighting looks and the costuming and stuff. But what it doesn't have mm-hmm. is Tarantino pacing. And if you look at the script for True Romance and you imagine it with Tarantino's pacing, it's a totally different movie than what the Tony Scott version was. Yeah, and that's absolutely. why when you look at on rewatches of which I've had several individual scenes play really well. And then it's the string of them together that doesn't work. Right. Or it doesn't yeah, no, feel it, consistent. It, it, it's actually one of those that I think if you broke it up into a series of short films that were run as kind of like a series, kind of a, right. a mind warp series, I think it right. would have been better than it was as a movie. Yeah. But if you look at, but if you look at um, Tarantino's Pulp Fiction script, which was much later in terms of when he wrote it, it has that same vignette, interconnected vignette, but in a way that is very well constructed. And in mm-hmm. this one, you have to do some work to construct it properly. And Tony Scott did not do that. It looks like Last Boy Scout, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love it, but it's so that's so. So looking at this movie is exactly what you said. It looks like someone else directed off of a script they didn't really understand. Yeah, yeah, it's just um, really strange to me. On the on the cast, like you said, Jeff Bridges um, was. I mean, he was fucking great, but also oh, he, yeah, was he was great, great. in. He was great in the layers and spoilers abound. But when mm-hmm. his character reveals himself, it's a strange thing. He reveals himself in a very dark way, but then he kind of turns a little bit and becomes a protagonist again, which is an odd thing in this yeah. in the well, development of that story. None of that was real great the way they handled any of the like the the reveal and the secret and stuff either. So, but. well, I thought the reveal was fine. I just think, well, okay, no. Here's you didn't see say. it already? Because it was pretty obvious that he wasn't no, no, no. a priest. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 of course. Of course, of course. But what I'm saying, well, they gave us the prem- – they gave us the – the the uh, the um, you know, like the little, the little uh, thing at the very beginning that showed that what happened in the 50s was – So I guess you made the reveal to the other characters, not Correct. to Correct. What I'm saying okay. is his performance as the priest with memory problems was cool – yeah. His attempt to drug her and her, you know, clock on her with the clock at him with the with the glass, and then him having being forced to admit uh, what he really is was really fun to me. I like that part. But then mm-hmm. when it broke down into him telling the story, when later on he's telling the story about what we already saw, that was irritating. And then also mm-hmm. the fact that in the last third of the movie he's become a pro, a, a co protagonist with uh, what's her name didn't feel right either. I wanted him to stay meaner than I wanted him to stay raw and meaner and less uh and um less fuzzy and they kind but of they couldn't so, they couldn't let it happen. But, but Jeff Bridges but, is so charming and cuddly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's what was fun about him being a bad guy. That was fun when he clocked when he was drugging her. I was like, whoa <laughs> No? Yeah 
no, I, I, I agree. I just think, it, uh, to me, the biggest um, distraction was the whole thing with Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. Like, like if yes. they would have kept John Hamm alive and yeah. just made it about the that whole about the film, like there's a piece of film right. that everybody went to for different reasons, and then he, right. he had these the, these intersections of folks that just got wrapped into it. I think it would have been a lot better than this um, weird cultish. I agree completely. Well, coming in, right? I think, totally I think, I think, out of the blue, and either they had to have integrated him from the beginning, or well, they tried. Not had him they at tried. all. They tried well, in they the flashbacks with the, the flashbacks and story of the sister. Yeah, but it would have been better if he was already there. Yeah, if he was a member of the, if he was a person at the hotel, and while the story is ongoing, more and more people start showing up. That would have been a way to integrate him in a way that makes so, sense. Him just showing so if, the tracker down felt really glued on. No, if if, if, the, if the cult would have been headquartered at that hotel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, something like that would have been really... Right. The, on top, on top of its history, right? And, the, yeah. and and he bought it because he knew its history for it. And then all these stories came into it, and they just uh, did the whole uh, right. spiderweb layer thing. That would have been cool. But this yeah, kind of... Yeah. I did not buy that his character would be um, sober enough, let alone savvy enough to pick up on all the nuance in the story being told to him and figure out very quickly what's going on and take control of everything and suddenly be this little mastermind that he was. Like, it didn't make sense to me. That was not the character that we saw. We saw the the framework of a, of a, a Jones, Jonestown style Morrison hybrid that was very influential and very um, nihilist and very manipulative, but we never saw signs that he would be actually um, a mastermind coherent enough to pick up on that stuff. A person who's a person who's surrounds themselves with sycophants who spends his time conditioning people and manipulating people and, and creating a uh, stylized delusional environment around himself would not be, keyed into nuance about people's backstories and things they say and their mannerisms and say, Oh, uh, clearly there's some secret shit going on here. And mm-hmm. I'm suddenly really on top of things. And I think, I'm, also I think really, I'm really be. scary. It too. depends on the character, certainly, because I think some of those cult leader type people, they become that because they're so good at reading people, but and they're paranoid. And that they're character paranoid. as portrayed. I agree. Yeah. And they're <laughs> paranoid. This guy was not a paranoid leader of a religious cult. He was a sex God. Who got everything wow. he wanted? So that sent, in that sense, I didn't I didn't <laughs> buy him as the character that they showed. He he was Thor before Lebowski Thor. <laughs> yes, um, right. and 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 so, I hate sexy pants too. The, those people always say the wrong thing. Sexy pants? What? Not sit? Not sick offense? Sexy pants. Oh, sexy, sexy pants. pants. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, I thought that the casting of that character would have been a lot more convincing and interesting if it was Matthew McConaughey playing the character. Yeah, that would have been all right, all right, all right, I guess. I see what you did. Mm-hmm. All, right. All, all right, all right, all right, right. all right. I, um, you know, I, I the problem is, is that it's a, it's such a McConaughey character that it would have been a little too on the nose to me. That's why I was, I would always go yeah. with Matt Modine. Modine. <laughs> Sure. Don't even. Say, are you kidding me? <laughs> so 
straight off the heels of the success of Cutthroat Island. Like more of a Buscemi type, but whatever. Nobody expects the Modine. Nobody expects the Modine. (laughs) (laughs) Two thirds through the movie, Modine suddenly shows up in the rain with his shirt hanging open. (laughs) Dude, have you seen my car keys? I think it should have been rocket ship. I think it should have been Newman from Seinfeld. That would have been that would have been the the bold choice. Only if he showed up with the Velociraptor DNA in the jar. Yeah. Yes, yes. The whole point of this was there was a, a what was the barbacol can in the the wall at the hotel? The barbacol. Oh, that's right. The barbacol. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there was a bunch of stuff here layered in that was unnecessary. It was a it was actually a more interesting story before it got so complicated on yeah, the so- basis like the basic framework of the secret room for blackmailing people and all that other stuff. That was interesting as a means Absolutely. of interconnecting the rooms and seeing what different people were doing. This, the portions of that first half where he's walking around in there and you're seeing those rooms from that side was it fascinating. Was fascinating. Yeah. It was great yeah. tension. There was great tension about whether or not you'd be seen and whether or not you'd be uh, interacted with, with whoever's on the other side. And even the even the shotgun through it, um, yeah, and him yeah. being a him being a a um, casualty of her action against John Hamm was an interesting yeah. and surprising result. But then from there, yeah, like, a lot of that just kind of fell away, right? Mm-hmm. Well, because because they 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 threw that whole Colt Hemsworth thing in, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. that feels like a rewrite by a different screenwriter to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> or the studio no, got involved like, or something. Like Justice League, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just it boggles my mind that this is a the same writer director on this. It just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I wrote to myself in my notes, this is Godard's difficult second album. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, he wrote multiple yeah, scripts, I mean, but I think this is his second uh directing is it? job. Because I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have said this before this, but he's a better director than he is a writer. <laughs> that's not great no it's not but you take a look at i mean i just compared to memento i compared to salt and sea i compared usual suspect and uh hell or high water Mm -hmm. all better films than this way better and i think i think they just try to make it one complexity too much yeah right yeah there's another um there's another character well there's there's an actor that you uh mentioned earlier that tom holland was going to be and then he got that, or he was playing the character and then he was out and then this other guy came in. His name is Miles Miller. And um, this movie was all about looking at characters and, or looking at actors. And like, Where have I seen that guy? Like a bunch of yeah. that, that guys are in this movie, right? And um, in some cases, stuff I'd already seen. And in at least one case, someone I had yet to see, but then was stumped trying to figure out where I saw them from. And it was this. But Miles Miller, uh, I just had seen him the night before we started watching the, uh, the show Catch-22. Have you guys seen that? Mm-hmm. And he's major, major in Catch Twenty Two. I don't know what that means. He's a guy. He's a he's a pilot in this World War Two sort of dark comedy drama on uh, Hulu that George mm-hmm. Clooney produced. Um, and he's a very specific character on that. You know, a very specific um, uh, um, aura on that show. And then he plays this character, the bellhop in this movie. And I spent the half the movie going, where have I seen this guy from? I feel like I saw, the, the whole drug before, use yeah. thing was really out of place too. I didn't feel like it fit the character it wasn't necessary. or the movie. It just, no. it's, and it did it really didn't fit the era, the 1969 thing very well either to me. 
I, yeah, it just, I don't know. That that felt really flat for me. It felt to I, me like a, a drug-using screenwriter rationalizing in their mind. Oh, man, he's trapped in the hotel. He stays there. Stuff. Yeah, and he just stays there all the time because he's got this pat. He just shoots up in the dark and uh, it just is. Yeah, it, it felt it felt way too autobiographical, fantasy autobiographical for some way. Uh, I cannot wrap my brain around the fact that this is the same guy that did Cabin in the Woods. That movie is so <laughs> tight, good, and funny. And this movie is just this. This movie just looks good, and that's all it's got going for it. It's I love weird. John Hamm in this movie. Yeah, I do I love, love John Hamm. It might be his one first, of my favorite of his roles. In his first, in, in his first uh, sort of presentation in this, when he's playing the vacuums, vacuum salesman, I was really struggling because I was like, "Oh man, he is coming off with this certain sleazy artifice." I was like, "Is this guy a fucking child molester? Is he a rapist? Like, there's something about him that felt off." And then he's revealed as an FBI agent with doesn't have that accent, doesn't have that mannerism. And then it actually felt effective. They yeah. Done it that way. J. Edgar Hoover. That's how yeah. weird he is. It's J. Edgar yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So let me, I'll hit you with my, my scalpy scribbles. Okay. Uh, one of the things that, I struggled that, that with. That doesn't sound malevolent at all. No. So one of the things that I struggled with, and is one of the first examples of where I felt like some post-production or studio meddling fucked with the uh, tone of it was that they did my, Stupid one of my pet peeves, which is the inclusion of mu- music that's inappropriate because they had this this change in music when they did the transition to the modern era of the film, which was 69, mm-hmm. and the music completely changed tone and it wasn't right. It wasn't like if they had just put it together from music of the era, it would have been fine. But when they went from the 50s to 69, they went fr- they went suddenly to a modern a modern uh, score to the film and it didn't match the 1969-ness of it, but they jumped yeah. timelines in the story. So the, the music changed with the timeline shift, but then the music changed wrong and it felt disjointed. The rest of the movie, I was frustrated by every single scene was like, fuck man, why didn't they just use some old timey music to this? So that's the thing. I, I, I get your frustration there, but it also wouldn't make sense if the the wannabe lounge singer was singing super retro stuff at the hotel. Um, well, I'm not even saying that. I'm saying the, the background music. I'm not saying the music she sang. I'm saying he's, he's, he's walking along the hallway or he's interacting with someone or the guy shows up. But it was all modern orchestral stuff. It wasn't. There was you mean modern about, as in 1969, or do you mean modern as in... Modern, 20? modern, contemporary, okay. 2019, or 2000, whatever this is, oh, okay. 17. I see what you mean. That's what I'm saying. There was all this, there was these opportunities to create tonally interesting, suspenseful, creepy soundtrack music that had an air of it that was 70s-ish, or 69-ish, and they didn't use that. They just used a contemporary score. Yeah, and, I get uh, what you mean. And it was so, no... Uh, it was no Lady Hawk, but it was still a problem for me. <laughs> well, Lord, you know, yeah, Tangerine Dream, you know, uh-huh. God rest, God rest guys, her souls. Don't you guys yeah. put down that chrome banded mail? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to put it down; it's already buried. That's an alternate yeah. timeline, you guys. I know, sure, surely. <laughs> <laughs> when Vangelis got elected president, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> Two moogs in every garage. 
Yeah. yeah, you know, hey, I got an Oscar. I'm going to be prime minister. It's just the way it is. The, um, so, but I agree with you because yeah. they it, they would have gone full again. It was kind of they did a half-assed thing. They it was right. like the what was it, the remake of Romeo and Juliet by I forget who it was. That was just off. Yeah, they, Boz, uh, Boz Lerman. I normally like Boz's stuff, but yeah, some of it really jars. But that's the style, the costume design. No, no, the costume design was amazing. The actors chosen to portray those roles mixed with that costume design felt really uncomfortable. When what's his name? Kobayashi, Mr. Kobayashi had the massive back tattoo and Leonardo DiCaprio is running around with his big silver pistols. You're like, well, eh. but if you take that same costuming and you put it on more sort of more street uh, worn people, I think it would have been much more effective. Or just make a great cover of West Side Story, which is basically the same thing, only, you know, contextualized in a much different way. Same thing with Night Tales, right? Night's yes. Tale. Oh, right? yeah. Night, you know, that Heath Ledger thing where they did the rock and roll soundtrack to... Oh, you know, terrible. Yeah, it's just, I get the mixed genre thing is trying to be, you know, avant-garde, but it's just avant trash. But that's what Westworld has done so brilliantly that so many projects have not. They've pulled the pop culture music and references in, oh. and they've completely couched it in context to the point where you're you're fully aware of either what it is or that you know it, but you can't quite place it, but it feels so perfectly grounded. It works so yeah. well. I mean, especially as a story of an old timey, a future artificial old timey, then to take the music and then mutate it like that is perfect. Well, especially with the the automatic piano, right? Oh, yes. the, uh, yeah. Um, but they get a pass piano. because that's in the future. Yes. Yes. They get so many passes for so many reasons. Yeah. I was drifting off just now thinking about um, corsets and smoky revolvers and. Bloody, bloody brain chips. Let's get back to uh, bad times with the hot, wet lunch. Um, I love the cars. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, that were in the she, parking lot. Yeah, she drives an amazing Studebaker. Yeah, and uh, Emily, Emily, who's played by um, uh, Johnson, Dakota Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. She drives the same car my parents had before I was born, or when I was born, which was a Mercury Cougar. So that was cool. Um, where you conceived it? Where you conceived in Ted Carr? Uh, it, it's not confirmed nor denied. It's okay. possible. Another note that I wrote here was that it felt like a play, but I think that only applies to the first act. Back then, man, everybody knew how to fix spark plugs. That's a, that's like a basic thing for those kind of old cars, man. <laughs> I'm gonna assume. aspiring. <laughs> Aspiring singer slash maids. I mean, knew how I mean to you guys were like plugs. 20 back then. You, you know how to <laughs> yes. spark plugs in the 60s? <laughs> I, I had a court order restricting my access to spark plugs. <laughs> but that was entirely a sexual problem. What if you were on the Nevada side, though? Does that uh, change? No, no, it, does, it doesn't matter. It was uh, in all states. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so the going back to the important expunged. stuff. The record's expunged now. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> did you not think that the first act felt like a play when they're in the lobby and they're interacting and ham shows up and everybody's being really tense and looking at each other. And there was all that weird stillness. Everything was in basically one or two spaces and the framework of the, of the placement of people and the composition felt very much like you're watching theater. Right? I think that's why oh, my man. wife expected four rooms with yeah, it. Is that, that. that first part had that vibe and like the, the, the framework and everything to it. 
Yeah, so I, I, I actually like that first part because it's more character-driven than vehicle-driven. Like, oh, yeah, I could have watched the first right? two hours and not yeah. had any kind of actual plot exposed and just yeah, yeah. watch these people existing in that world. I would have been totally fine with that. Yeah. Well, it was somewhat vehicle-driven, but I know what you mean. Right, yeah, plot vehicle, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. You saw what I did. I Cross love that Rubicon. John Hamm kept referring to his accoutrement. what you did because you're in Singapore and we're all on audio, but sure. No, no I'm not in Singapore. Physics. It's physics. I love that he kept referring to his accoutrement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just funny. The truth be told, my stay is on Calhoun Appliances, which is why room choice is so important to me and why I ask you to respect my accoutrement as proxy to my person. <laughs> I made a mental note, refer to all my things as accoutrement, and I forgot to do it. But <laughs> <I'd forget. laughs> I, The only accoutrement I have is a pickle jar. <laughs> Again, with your court order, dude. <laughs> no, no, that, that's civil service. <laughs> I appreciated the I appreciated the camera angle viewing of the ledger and how it kept zooming in on what he was writing and all that. I thought that was really interesting how he was making notes of where people stayed and what rooms they were in and all that stuff. That was interesting. They didn't play, they didn't capitalize on it other than to suggest that there was something interesting about the fact that everybody was taking rooms on one side and not the other, but they didn't, I thought it was going to be more important than it was. Mm -hmm. Right. There were lots of things that I thought were going to be more important and didn't pan out in this movie. I think that's one of my greatest disappointments with it. (laughs) Yes, sir. There was a piece of music in it, uh, uh, Frankie Valli's uh, Unchained Melody, which was used in a great uh, semi-cyberpunk TV miniseries from the uh, many, many, many years ago when Chris was baby was just a, a mere babe in the uh, in the potato farms of Idaho uh, called uh, Wild Palms. Do you remember that, Blake? Wild oh Palms? yeah, I do. Yeah, right. My first my first custom license plate was supposed to be Go Chip, but then the DMV wouldn't let me have it. A little side, <laughs> a little side wild palms for you. <laughs> anyway, that song was in that soundtrack. So I'd like to bring up something else that I think um, would be a, a good comparator if you've seen it or not. But Hotel yes. Artemis. Whoa, man! We wanted to, so that's the thing. We were originally going to do this compared to Artemis. Okay. And uh, I did not watch Artemis yet. It's on my. It's in my. It's in fact in my. Planned plundering. Okay. We should come back when we do that. We should compare it directly to El Royale because it's. Now, um, did you see it yet, Chris? Do we lose Chris again? Chris? He's going to, uh, he's going to come back and accuse me of talking the entire time. No, no. Yeah. Cause he's off now. Yeah. We only have you and me. So when did, did you see Artemis close to this or did you, um, I saw it uh, on a plane to Beijing. <laughs> the bit, the widescreen, the widescreen experience that you deserved. Total immersion, yeah. Back in Economy <laughs> Plus. There was um, did, well, what's so? What was your? I mean, short answer though, good or bad. I liked Hotel Artemis, but it, again, I thought it was it had some flaws in it, um, yeah. but. I think they <laughs> those are two good films to compare to because they have the same kind of flaws. They have a great cast, a great right. premise, and then right. really flawed execution and really disjointed storytelling. 
And I think that they're both very equitable to each other. I would not rate one above the other. I would bring them both forward in any film class as cautionary tales of how not to make a great movie. Well, do you remember? <laughs> do you remember when after Pulp Fiction came out, his screenwriter, uh, his co-screenwriter who got no credit <laughs> for Pulp Fiction, uh, went and mil- and did that movie, uh, Killing Zoe, in France. And... Oh, I thought it was Gary Busey. Sorry, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He's a co-screenwriter, right? And he went off and did his own movie. And I was like, well, I could do this too, you know? And he did Killing Zoe. And it was another thing where if you look at the trailer, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And then you actually watch it. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's certainly no pain, no gain. <laughs> certainly no, no pain, no gain. Yes. You're, you're all paying entire consumption of that bottle. I, you, you assisted. <laughs> Maybe. Chris, are you back? Um, yeah, I think so. Oh, good. I just didn't want to interrupt. It's good that your participation is a metaphysical quandary. That's good. <laughs> yes. Chris, did you, see, uh, did you see Killing Zoe when it came out right after Pulp Fiction? Were you alive when Pulp Fiction came out? We don't know. <laughs> I, think I, was, I think I was in high school when Pulp Fiction came out. <laughs> back before everything changed. So did you see Killing Zoe? I'm trying to, to I I'm trying to place that off the top of it my was, head. It was it was a it was the it was the writer director debut of the guy that co-wrote Pulp Fiction with him. They got no love for his half. He's like oh, forgotten. I have not seen that actually. Uh, okay. With Eric Stoltz. Yes, sir. <laughs> it um, looks like something I actually wouldn't mind. Is is that not the case? Its plot uh, keywords are bank, call girl, kissing, sex scene, and lust. I want to know where you found that. Where did you find that? I, now I, I want to look up every movie up. ever. It sounds like the primer for Mulan. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> That's just because they eliminated Mushu, so they had to add sex. <laughs> like If there's no cartoon dragon, we need a sex scene. Oh, you're rapier wit. Okay. Uh, You're going to do what to my wit? Rapier. <laughs> you with your rapier wit. Rapier. R-A-P-I-E-R. Look it up. You're over. rapier than I am. Oh, hey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No. Okay. There's a, <laughs> Back to court order land. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, that guy actor in this movie that I was so disappointed. Um, had nothing they to range? do. Are we talking about? Are we talking about uh, killing Zoe? The hot wet lunch. The hot wet um, lunch. The El Royale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the prison doc in the flashback is Shea Wingham. And he's the, he's oh, yeah. in, he, yeah. he's in Kong Skull Island and True Detective. He's got that drawl and the very distinct uh, jaw and everything. I love that guy. And it's it, so much so that I, jaw. <laughs> you know the guy. <laughs> yeah, the guy, the one guy that was I in that the thing. accent and the, and the lower jaw, you know him, yeah. Ross Perot. <laughs> <laughs> pour your first, pour your first sip out, your second sip out for Ross Perot. So, um, but it was he was such a that guy that I had to pause the movie and imd about him until I could figure out where he was from, and then I'll, instantly it all came back to me. I was like, ah. there it is. <laughs> Thank you, Imdaba, for bringing up. What What did you do? Did you type in the guy with the jaw? <laughs> I did. I did. The keywords that came up was outstanding. Everything came up as as uh, Powers Booth. Everything. <laughs> I would have sworn it with Gary Busey all the way. <laughs> no, he's the guy with the teeth. 
<laughs> that have to go in a jaw. Oh yeah, that's true. You can't have teeth without a jaw. Uh, Man. <laughs> Jim Carrey, maybe. <laughs> the conceit Imagine. that the the conceit that the secret room, the secret little corridor for view, for spying on the hotel rooms was sound isolated was taken to a stylized extreme when they were uh, digging holes in the floor and doing all this stuff and you couldn't hear it. You he, he, he yeah. could watch it and you wouldn't hear it. And then later on, of course, when the window was open and they were trying to be quiet, that was really good. That was really good when they're very trying to disguise the sounds of breaking into the floor and that scene was cool yeah but the I, fact that you would have complete silence on that side of the room was um it was neither uh paid off in the way the story progressed nor was it um period appropriate i thought but it's what happens at every republican national convention so yes sir <laughs> yes sir there was a great quote that i wrote down it says we got a we got us a nevada problem now and i thought that's pretty nice i tend to say we have an an Idaho Storm problem here on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> I wrote wolf song, question mark, pie dance, question mark. <laughs> when a movie like this that had so much promise can devolve I'm into sorry, can, a, you, can you repeat that? <laughs> pie dance, wolf song and pie dance. And I know what it is. It's, it's, it's when uh, I realize now what it is. It's when Hemsworth was eating pie and dancing. Uh, and I remember, and I, and I felt that was so disjointed and random that I had to write it down. Uh, yeah, not great. Not great. <laughs> so, okay, so here's, all right, so this is a flashback to earlier episodes, you guys, but Chris, you may recall this. Uh, in the past, I have commented to you that I had some scribbly notes to myself that I could not identify what it was about, and it was it was killing me because they were so specific, and I couldn't, and I had a mental image of what I was writing down, That's but I didn't know what it was from. every time you've written notes on a movie, but okay, sure. Yes, but these, <laughs> these notes... I've come back to like five different episodes and I've read them to you and I've been like, what the fuck is this movie? And we would sit there and go like, what is that? Okay. Okay. I, I will read it. To, I will read it to you. I will read it to you and you may get a sense of why I'm doing this. My, that, that, those notes were the famous old timey hotel song and dance out front with sparklers, 1920, four deaths, lo- <laughs> loans, sweating despair owner, Baldwin detective. What? Keep the hotel running, solve the crime, C-shaped floor plan, palm trees, California night, reds, oranges, whites, linen, circus colors, and then finally in all bold, orange. <laughs> These were notes about the trailer to El Royale. And the thing that trips me out about it now that I know is that this describes a much more interesting story than what we got in the movie. It sure I thought, does. I thought it was Mary Poppins. <laughs> Gosh, you know what? It could be. I don't know what the crime was. But otherwise, is there yeah. orange and more? No, 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 no. The movie was the crime. The movie was the crime. <laughs> oh man, that was great. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's let's not. The kid movie ourselves. was the crime. The movie was the crime. Oh, uh, that's that's another uh, that's another challenger for the title of this episode. Actually, the that movie was the crime. Uh, <laughs> I like hot so that was, dog lunch. So that was the bad times at the El Royale. Did you feel like there were any maybe very specific major tweaks they could have done that would have radically changed the success of the final product? We've already talked about don't have the, don't have the cultist. 
yeah. or don't have the coal to show up. But I mean, anything else that you could think of that was like a serious misstep that if they hadn't done that, maybe it would have, you know, not killing John Ham off. Yeah, that's John what Hamm that's off. what I had. That's exactly what I wrote, and that's interesting. Yeah, I right? we all had. That I would reaction. have probably had John Ham and uh, Jeff Bridges just team up and wander around a hotel for two hours. Well, or also just I at the time, especially when he started, he revealed that he was doing. Remember, he was doing all the bug removal, and you're like, "Holy shit!" And then remember that whole thing how he was finding bugs, and then he would find other bugs that weren't his bugs, and like, "What the shit?" At that point, I started thinking this entire movie, told from his point of view, was going to be excellent. Mm-hmm. Had it been following him as the as the point of view character, I think it would have been really interesting. That then you know, also would have been a shorter movie apparently. <laughs> Because of Spinal Splatter. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's Bad Times at the El Royale, the movie that was the crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, to, so, so then I guess I would ask you, what would be your red tentacle for this movie? Chris, what's your red tentacle? Which is the, the best thing you liked? Uh, definitely the hotel design in and of itself. I think it was gorgeous. <clears throat> And Blake, what about you? I'd have to go through with the uh, the whole backstory with the John Hamm and calling the uh, his bosses, his superiors, to find out what to do next. I really like that the whole plot element with his character. Yes. Okay, I'm kind of similar. I wrote down bug hunt, so that whole thing where he's very <laughs> casually just opens up his case, cracks it open, and then walks around and proceeds to very calmly and casually debug the entire room, and it has 55 of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, and then this one might we might be somewhat aligned on this, but what would be your black octopus of the movie? So the least liked thing. Oof. Last I'll go first. first. I'll go first. <laughs> uh, the the Chris Hemsworth uh, guru thing that was my least favorite. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's. I I I will agree, but I'll also just say the script. <laughs> the script. <laughs> so, That's not let's, great. Let's be, no, Chris. The Chris is right. We should cast a wide net. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Like, the movie that the was movie, the crime. The movie. The, the, the movie was the crime. So, so yeah, yeah. So for me, it wasn't just the cult. It wasn't just the cult, but specifically the cult and the way the younger sister was drawn, because yeah. there was the yeah, promise of. There was the promise of something really interesting with Dakota Johnson's character trying to physically force her sister out of being out of a heavily conditioned environment such that in that Mm -hmm. first portion of that, she looks like she's a hostage and it's actually Mm -hmm. her trying to, it's kind of like trying to pull someone who's strung out on drugs and force them into sobriety. That part was all interesting. And the fact that the sister got loose and immediately called the guy and all that stuff was all great. That that part totally worked. And then you get to the part where they show up and she's just like wandering around like some sort of savant, you know, eating pie and be like, uh, you know, that part completely, she just became no human. Yeah, no, a psycho savant uh, coupled with innocent loss, right? And it's a a trope that has been done to death. Yeah, right. There was nothing new to add and it felt very, um, it felt so disjointed about the way a human would act, even if she fully believed it was conditioned by that cult. She didn't mm-hmm. act like a human. She acted like a, a cartoon that someone created, and it didn't. It didn't. 
it didn't work for me at all. So there you go. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I would have much appreciated if she was like a vegetarian cult. And yes. they were every uh, interested to dairy or like meat. Yeah. I think that would have been a better plot line. <laughs> yeah. or, her, or, her, or her bindings salt. were her bindings were bacon and she couldn't break free because she didn't want to touch it. Right. Right? Like, the, the power of pork compels you. The, um, <laughs> Where I am, that's a thing right now, actually. It is. But, uh, you know, it was just, okay, some kind of Charlie Manson vibe in the Cal- intersection of California, Nevada. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Well, but imagine also, think of you know, referring to the Charlie Manson comment. Um, when we were talking earlier about how Chris Hemsworth's sexy dance with sparklers or whatever was not um, tonally interesting in the movie, I kept going back to the idea that we we played with a little bit where if the cult leader was charismatic but not attractive charismatic in a scary way that might have been an interesting more so interesting that's, development that's assault and sea have you seen that yeah that movie's uh, so with, excellent i, I haven't movie. seen it but that's the one with val kilmer right yeah val kilmer and uh d'onofrio and d'onofrio yeah. is one of these uh psycho cult leaders that is horribly disfigured uh, uh that is amazing yeah he's oh, wow. excellent in that yeah. Who directed that? It's actually it's actually my favorite Val Kilmer movie, period. It's the uh, huh. is an amazing. I yeah, it ranks just below Willow for me. Blasphemy on both of you. <laughs> so, so curses on boxes on both your houses. His I'm best sorry. and only performance wait, 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 was wait, Heat. You know that. No, 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 no. Heat is number two. You got to go watch Salty. The um, <laughs> but Chris, you kind of faded out there. What? It was what? Pillow. Uh, Yellow? Willow? Zillow? <laughs> yes, Zillow. Yeah, he's, he's, he does some. He did some commercials for that that home buying website, and he's just. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's I want to see a movie that's current era. Of all, of all time is a Dark Crystal. No, it's not. Yes. you were just delusional. <laughs> I want to see a movie that is current era Val Kilmer called Pillows, and that would be an interesting movie. Did I? Uh, so not only is it D'Onofrio and Kilmer, but it also has Adam Goldberg, Luis Guzman, Anthony yes. LaPaglia, Peter Sarsgaard, yeah. Deborah yeah. Unger, uh, Arlie Ermey, B.D. Wong, and Meatloaf it, in it, that movie. Yes, and it Meatloaf. is truly amazing. Yeah, it's excellent. Anthony the LaPaglia, though, I don't like him. It, Tom, disappointing. But I don't like the Paglia because he looks like some uh, one of those caricature artists at the waterfront who does your art, does your portrait for twenty <laughs> bucks. Was asked to just draw an Italian, and that's him. I hate that about him. That's my editorial. <laughs> because he was born looking Italian, you hate him. <laughs> what does looking Italian mean? It means Some, Anthony Paglia. Someone had too much Someone's had too much borscht. <laughs> What's going on here, Tom? It's not Borscht. It's called a serpent's slur. This guy looks. This guy looks like an Italian huckster. I hate him so much. <laughs> I hate his face. I hate his face. <laughs> I won't watch that movie because his face is in it. <laughs> oh, speaking of watching movies with faces in them, I would like to transition to our planned plundering segment. Mm. See what I did there? I would well, like you, Chris, to tell me what you plan to watch in the future, either immediately or not immediately. Cats! No, not cats. cats. Uh, oh, good lord! We didn't talk about that. No, we did not. <laughs> All right, let's. No, we'll no, get to please, that. Okay, wait, let's no, transition. Wait, no, please, please. <laughs> I have, I have a, I have emotional scars from my youth because okay. my sister was a. Was have a, you, a have you seen sound and the that trailer for yes. that? Yes. The new Guys. one. Yes. Guys, <laughs> I, 
I created a segment what? in my notes. I created a new segment for this show called the strong meat, which by definition, by its very definition means something that is uh, instinctively arousing fear and repulsion. Well, guess what? We can introduce that segment today for the first time by talking about the trailer for cats because it made me really nauseous. Yeah. It's distinctly it's nauseating. Like yeah, it's like, not uncanny valley, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> like every Bette Midler movie. That's my reaction. <laughs> it's it's it, sad on so many levels. No, it's like All a the only thing that's missing which with really bad dressing. It's just awful. Well, and the only the part only... that looks like super fake is the faces, and I assume that's the only part that's real on it. <laughs> sort of like the, well, the thing that was missing was like what is CGI? But this is all bad. Well, what I was expecting, and I'm honestly surprised it wasn't there. I was expecting everybody to have these really these highlighted anuses, you know, like these cat anuses in your face. It might have been better. For that. <laughs> it's it's like uncanny Mariana's trench is what we've got here. <laughs> <laughs> Mariana's. Speaking, speaking of the Mariana's trench, so anyway, I tried to, wait, I, last I, night. I, I tried to watch the movie Aquaman, which, as you know, is the prequel to the trench. And I couldn't get past 15 minutes of it without Speaking of anus. <laughs> yeah, I haven't... Uh, I still haven't seen that. I wouldn't mind seeing it just because I do like the Momoa, but it looks terrible. <laughs> I, I, I will agree with you that uh, <laughs> Momoa is interesting, but only if you have a lot of mimosas. The mimosa Momoa is the mimosa Momoa. Well, but the problem is, it, uh, it maybe Justice League burned through. Maybe Justice League and Instagram burned through all the goodwill with getting too much Momoa, kind of like the way Dwayne Johnson's burning through his goodwill. But by the time I sat down and started to try to stay awake through Aquaman, the sequel to the movie Trench, uh, he, his bullshit was, was really it was stench. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the stench. His 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 impression. I mean, his whole mannerism was just I'm I'm cool, Jason Momoa, and it was driving me nuts. When he was sitting at the bar drinking beer, I'm like whatever, dude. That's every single role Momoa's been in. <laughs> no, that's, true. that's not but it true. Was just, I've no, run out. No, that's not true. Um, <laughs> let me look it up. There is one film that is decidedly outside of his um, comfort zone. Hold on. Is it the one where he was wearing pink sweatpants? A Watch Nights. No. No, 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 no. Well, Game of Thrones was great. Yeah, but he's just playing cool barbarian Conan. (laughs) Why no? And we kept if it kept him that way. What was the movie where he had the pink sweatpants in the desert? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Bad Batch was amazing. Bad Batch, yeah. That's legitimately true. He is amazing. It's sort of like the the Rock in Southland Tales. The, Only it's the, surrounded by a good movie too. Yeah, but the the rock <laughs> was actually one of the few good things in Southland Tales, right? He was. This yeah. Is true. yeah, I like the Who's rock the, though, actually. But then I, well, I, I like guess him, but I'm getting tired of his like Instagram. Oh, uh, no, that's true. <laughs> Rock's Instagram has become: here's me lifting weights. Here's the five meals, five human meals I'm going to have as a cheat. Here's me in a nice suit demonstrating that this movie's coming out. And then he writes a five paragraph essay about how blessed he is, but also how awesome he is. He's just, and he's I'm, just modern no, day Mr. T. No, no, I know no, he is. No, I know he is. I mean, if you, uh, he's I, on brand, you know, no, no, but, but I, I, I've actually <laughs> done a lot of research on the rocks. It's kind of weird. Oh, give me a break. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, 
no, no, but 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 his story, like uh, oh, I know. How he, how he had like seven dollars in his pocket and he was ready to give up and just go back and uh, oh, absolutely, right? And so, you know, his Instagram feed is a little obnoxious, but I love the cheat day. Sorry, I love the cheat day stuff. And no, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's you absolutely guys, amazing because I, I try to imagine to eating a part of that. Yeah. Have you guys listened to Inside of You, uh, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast? No. Uh, he does, it's like very psychoanalyzed, deep interview stuff that he does with his celebrity friends. And he does one with, I uh, oh, just forgot the guy's He's name. He's Lex Luthor, uh, right? Yeah, Lex Luthor on Smallville. Yeah, uh, he does it with he does Batista. one with Dave Batista that's yeah, yeah. fascinating. It's worth he listening is to fascinating. just to hear him talk mm-hmm. about his childhood and the wrestling career uh, like that's that's his, it, it's an excellent episode of that podcast if you guys but maybe that's it. it's funny you bring that up because i think that and and and, and i've drawn this parallel before it's unfair because rock he the rock has hit it and had his celebrity for a long time and batista's just coming up but batista and rock well they, i mean they're like they're like an in like an inversion of each other in terms of how they're approaching their rising celebrity Absolutely. status within yeah. the acting community. Batista is really, um, he's reserved, but he's very pleasant and humble and graceful. And the rock is being a total way. Well, he's being like a face, right? He's a blasting. He's still in that mode of, of, uh, you know, marketing himself massively in everything he does. Yeah. And Batista yeah. has even talked a little bit about how he's, you know, uh, <laughs> that's, but, but I mean that there's room that they're not mutually exclusive, right? I no, mean, you're right. right. You're absolutely right. You're and, absolutely. So the, and I, I view the rock as kind of trying to reincarnate himself as the next uh, John Wayne. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that's that, a good he's point. everywhere. He's ubiquitous and he's got his own whiskey, got his own cigarettes, got his own cigars, got his own. He's weight, kind of his own whatever. And the Schwarzenegger uh, thing. He's pulling the Schwarzenegger yeah. Uh, playbook pretty strong oh yeah totally. um, but, do, but doing it but doing it much better than arnie did, dave, i've got to say true true yeah. with, with, yeah, dave, I, with dave bautista's instagram it's basically a string of him um like him doing a thing and then palm Klementoff uh posts a bunch of hearts and arrows or whatever on it and then you immediately go to her instagram and she posts a thing and it's got a bunch of dave bautista hearts and arrows on it and you're like what's going on here you, you, follow, you follow a lot more muscular men instagram accounts than i do <laughs> palm Klementoff is not a muscular man that's 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 mantis no yeah. i know that is <laughs> okay <laughs> although she is badass though she's driving through europe on a harley right now or something she's uh she's interesting Okay, that said, let's go back to plan plundering. We got our strong beat out of the way. No, no, we did. Cats. I want to ask you this about cats. Does it make it any worse than it already was that, like, James Corden and stuff is in it? Like, it's even – and, like, uh, what's her name? Uh, Wilson. It Like, Idris all Elba? of the weird – well, no, but all the farce that they've also included in it doesn't make uh, sense either. Yeah. It looks – I don't know. I, I have no real feelings about Cats anyway. I wasn't going to see it even if it looked amazing, so yeah, that really yeah. doesn't apply to me. I'm just shocked. It's in my whole life. Looks. Like the, the scale looks like all over the place, and it's just – it's totally inexplicably bad to me. But uh, we just finished uh, Stranger Things today. Yeah. Actually, it's excellent. Is that a strange, uh, I, is that a Rumfield recommendation or is it a? I genuinely, yeah, yeah, that is honestly, I it might be my favorite season. We need to we need to do an episode on it, I think, or like maybe mm-hmm. like a Stranger mm-hmm. Things overall episode because there's a yeah. lot to unpack. 
And, and I'm, uh, I really um, want to talk about my it. planned plundering is I'm, I'm rewatching Veronica Mars right now in anticipation of the next season of that coming out later this month. So you're watching the original one. Correct. Yes. I'm not I watching. Never, I never actually watched that. Oh, I didn't know it hadn't come out from all the, from all the marketing. I thought it was already out. I just got done saying it's coming out later this month. So you just weren't listening to me. But by coming out later this month, did you also mean that it had already come out? Or do you only mean that it's coming out in the future? Because remember, I'm in the future. <laughs> and you're in my past. So at this point, it may already have been out. Oh, okay. Well, let me know how it was. There is no, <laughs> I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> there, is, there, is, there is no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yuri Geller. So, um, but yes. I really like Veronica, Veronica Mars. Mars. The cast is amazing. It's totally high school noir, but the the detective story aspect of it's actually really good. The murder is her mystery. dad on that. Is her dad on that the photographer from the fake vote fake Costco yes, magazine? Be. Yes, sitcom? and he's so good in it. He's so good in that. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Blake, what's your uh, plan? Plundering. The Watchmen. When is that? Oh, out? it's coming out in like uh, five weeks. Jeez. Ooh. Okay, so that's coming out. Uh, the Boys is out in a couple weeks. Yeah, and that looks interesting. Also, my plan plundering. Good, my plan plundering is Hotel Hotel Artemis, which we just talked about. But I have is that the bad times at the El Royale? Is that yes? So, Chris, I think you might have been offline. Put trying that's, to read Hotel Royale. Hotel Royale. Chris, your internet is like those clocks, those clock kits from the 80s, right? Like you have to plug two wires into a potato and then you wait until the spark happens, right? That's your internet. Yeah, and I don't so actually you were have trying a to screen. Get... It's just a bunch of flashcards that flip. <laughs> and I... That would be dope as hell. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like some sort of lost, something you would see on Lost, right? Like, yeah. My computer's the original <laughs> difference engine. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Was it was it fr- was it the show Fringe where there was a typewriter that you would type and then the response would come from the other side? Was it Fringe that did that? Like you type know, a thing and then that. the typewriter would auto type the response, but it was coming from another dimension. I feel like Lost would do something like that, but with like your idea, flashcards. Like you would type <laughs> a thing and then it would show you flashcards that in <laughs> Cards Against Humanity style would reveal the answer that you needed. <laughs> it was it was either that or another forty eight hours. Yes, well, pretty much the same thing. They were right. both well, I wrote timelines, right? Yeah. Yes. So while you didn't have your potato internet up, uh, Blake was asking if we had seen Hotel <laughs> Artemis, to which I said no, and to which you said nothing because you weren't there. And we talked about how originally we were going to compare Artemis and El Royale at the same time, but we only got to the one. So yeah. I love that yeah. potato cloak mode. Nice. Oh, Hotel <laughs> Artemis. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. I would like to see that also. Yeah. Where 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 is that playing? Like, is it streaming somewhere? In a bus station bathroom near you. Oh, sweet. We still use buses out here, so. <laughs> we still well, use buses You got to have something to haul potatoes in. That's right. <laughs> haul them? Is this a we, mobile bathroom? We use, we use dump trucks, dude. <laughs> just dump trucks of whole potatoes that's, just that's right the into the grocery we, store. The only thing we put money into is our potato hauling. <laughs> Oh, no, you're putting money in other things. We're not going to talk about it. That's up north. (laughs) In the meth region. Uh, Tongue swabs. Tongue swabs and potato hauling. All right. 
So the other that's thing I have black, that, that's your black tentacle tongue swabs. Tongue swabs. That's how you clean the new stormtrooper outfit. I think it might be. With a, with so, a complimentary pint of bluebell. That's right. So the other item, one of all right, number two of four is uh, prospect. I still want to see prospect. Prostitute. Prostate. No prospect. Prostate. Prospect. Prostate. I would love to see a movie called the the apostate prostate. That. Isn't that Vice? <laughs> I thought it was CSY Miami. The prostate. The prostate. <laughs> you know what it would be though? If it was the late nineties, it would be the like prost and a numeral eight. It would be like a it would be like a near future, a near future like future skateboard uh the morality tale. Prostate. <laughs> No, it would be like um, I always think of like uh, the Tropic Thunder previews, like um, God's Alley or something like that. <laughs> prospect. Yes, I need to see Spro- Prospect as well. That's on Amazon, correct? Isn't that what uh, we've been watching it Netflix, on? Netflix, I think. Netflix. Netflix. Something like that. It looks it's good. Been on, it, it's been on the queue for about two months, and we even threatened to try to watch it before this trip. But then I forgot that uh, when I come overseas, I can't get into my Netflix without VPN, which slows everything down. So there you go. Yeah, that's an issue. Want to see yeah. it? We Old will see it. spacesuits. Um, Pedro Pascal. But I can't wait for um, the Watchmen. I just can't wait. It looks uh, really. I'm really curious to see where they go with that. Mm-hmm. It's just it fascinates me because it's clearly telling a different story in a yep. really interesting way. Well, and it'll be interesting oh, where they pick up where they pick up from the the, the original graphic novels, right? And whether it's yeah. uh, afterwards, like uh, and what happens in the aftermath of all of that, or, yeah, if, it's, it or looks, if it's like an alternate timeline. Yeah, or... but it looks like I mean from from the from what we've seen so fact, far but, with like go ahead. Well, what we've seen so far with the. Uh, with the police all having gold helmets or gold face uh, coverings and the uh, protesters having their faces covered, everything about it feels like it's a sort of a fascist uh, clamp down on society in the wake of the shock of what happened at the end of that movie, that they would mm-hmm. turn Ozyma- mm-hmm. Ozymandias's uh, plot into something that would exert control. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think it's well, and, and the idea and whether this is all post Rorschach sounds great too. Well, yeah, and maybe it's it's uh, Rorschach's book that he dropped off that uh, serves right. as like yeah. a, right that serves as the manifesto for all of this uh, counterculture stuff. But yeah, I think it's a great prelude to the Republican National Convention in 2019. So I'm just yes, uh, waiting for what faded breath. It'll be great. That's at uh, Mar-a-Lago, right? Well, everything's at Mar-a-Lago. We just <laughs> we all live in Mar-a-Lago. We're just in different sections. <laughs> the, what is it called? The Southern White House? I think that's hilarious. Hillbilly clog toilet. It's just one big clog toilet. All right. So yeah. another item three on my plan plundering Ch- is the boys. Chance the snapper. Chance the snapper. Chance the snapper. The boys is coming out at the end of this month, so I'm really looking forward to that. I've been actually not watching the previews anymore because I want to, you know. So here's the thing about the boys. I have a secret fear that it's going to be like when they did Powers for the uh, the much the much ballyhooed Sony PlayStation uh, streaming service. Do you remember that? The Powers adaptation that was a hot hot mess yeah. disaster. So that, that was I'm a hoping hot, it's, that was a hot wet breakfast. Yeah. Yes, it was a hot wet breakfast. So I'm really hoping it's not that. I'm hope I'm optimistic for the boys. Um, 
the third item, which but is how, actually... But, but, so how campy do you think it's going to be? Like, how over-the-top do you think it's going to be? Because it's supposed so, to be kind of a, a take on the whole yeah, Marvel well, universe, right? So how twisted do you think they're going to go? So I don't think it's going to have the same tone as the comics, because that is so deeply wedded to the writer and comics in general. I don't think it's going to be that, but I think it's going to be more like the uh, adaptation of Preacher. I think it's going to have that vibe to it. We lost Chris again. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you insulting potatoes? <sighs> Effectively, I was. So uh, the other thing uh, that I uh, added to the list while we were talking was uh, the, the Hannahs, both the uh, movie and the TV series, because I've seen neither. Oh, you've, you've got to see the movie, but uh, uh, the series, I watched episode one, it is pretty good. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I wrote what I call Westwood and stuff, but that's not really the name. It's, uh, what the fuck, uh, it's Tarantino's current upcoming film. Once Upon a Time in California? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something, right? Hollywood, but I call yeah, it Westwood like and it. stuff because they're very specifically filmed at Westwood, and I remember the places they were in. When I went well, that's where you grew up, so you remember all the scenes. That's exactly right. Uh, what about your rum fueled recommendations? And by the way, Chris is indicating to us on chat that he cannot get in. Um, although he seems more interested in uh, posting photos of men on unicorn floaties and pools. He's not wasting, maybe wasting his energies a little bit. Well, no, he's just uh, trying to catch up to the rock. Yes, um, I understand. <laughs> Aggressive self-marketing. <laughs> Aggressive self-marketing on unicorns. Um, <laughs> oh, Your rum fuel recommendation. Which... Uh, Remind what do you like that you want us to want to recommend to us? So, um, the I just finished a great series of books um, called uh, by Greg Bear. Yes, uh, the the War Dog trilogy. Uh huh. And it is uh, actually outstanding. So it's three really? books. Yep, War Dogs. Sorry, that's what it's called. You know, you, you mentioned this uh, last time or the time before, and uh, I don't know if I, I said it then, but, you know, the thing about Greg Bear is I'm very familiar with him as a as a sci-fi writer, and I know that his stuff is good, and I've never read any of them. But the reason I know him is because when I worked at a used bookstore in high school, I remember sorting – I had to sort the all the different – you know, the books were out, uh, out of order and I was sorting them. And I was like looking at him and I'm going, Greg Bear got some of the better cover artists, you know, like mm-hmm. the paintings on his stuff was that that one guy that does all that really sleek industrial looking stuff with the streaks of glittery chrome in the ships and all that. Very mm-hmm. distinct uh, uh, cover art for the 90, early 90s. Right. Or no, and then number 80s. And then number two, number two would be Fall or Dodge and Hell, the new Neil Stevenson. Ah, how far in are you? I'm done. Really? Yep. I downloaded it after we talked, but I haven't gotten to it yet. It is phenomenal. Ooh, I cannot wait. Um, the thing that's funny about that is that once you, once I told you that I read that it starts with uh, um, Dodge dying, and or start, you know, it starts with Dodge dying, and then you told me what it was, the basic framework of the start of the story. Now mm-hmm. I, now I as is often the case with his books, I see the title and I understand it differently than when I first read it. Yeah. I thought it was fall or dodge, like two different verbs (laughs) in hell. (laughs) Right. It's not that, or maybe it is a a remake of dodgeball, the movie. That's right. 
So Chris, if, if Chris were here and he's having some technical difficulties related to his potato internet, but, um, well, you know, <laughs> the he, spuds are worn out. Yeah. The, he burned it out. Well, the, um, he had, he had said earlier that, uh, he recommended stranger things three. I concur. Cause I saw that as well. Did you get through that already? No, I'm watching that with Carrie Ann now that she's back. Ah, nice. Okay. So we'll get together again and do that one because I think there's, I think it would be good to do the whole stranger things sort of overall story culminating in that or, yeah. or maybe talking about that and then feeding back to the earlier stuff. Cause I think that there are strengths and weaknesses to the series that are based on the whole and not the sum of its parts, I guess. But, yeah. um, and, okay. And I will, uh, there's the final number three for me, euphoria, the TV show. Oh about, fuck. No, you're mad. It is, no, it you're is fucking it, mad. It, what the hell's no, wrong it's with you? actually really good. You're a father of a daughter yeah. and you're going to watch euphoria. I couldn't, yep. I couldn't expend enough energy to avoid watching Euphoria. <laughs> I mean, I love who's in it, and I love the concept, but I certainly as hell don't want to watch it as a father of a a now entering puberty young young girl here. No, thank you. You, you don't have to watch it with her. Just... <laughs> well, I know. Anyway, I know it's technically very good. I just I'm afraid of it. <laughs> I'm afraid. And you should be. You should be. Yeah. Yes. Uh, are you finding it that um, impactful, though? I mean, does it does it kind of does it kind of uh, stab you between the ribs a little bit when you think about oh, it as a parent? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking at uh, Swiss nunneries. According uh, <laughs> to yeah, I don't trust nuns either. Particularly, I think I want something more like uh, I am mother. I just want robots to raise my daughter at this point. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, related to that, and this is not on my uh, plan plundering or anything else, but I was much more interested in I Am Mother before you saw in the trailer that um, Dingbat is trying to get in and break her out. Because I feel yeah. like I didn't need to see that, and I know that that's going to obviously be part of the overall story if someone's in a, an encapsulated underground bunker and being raised by robots. Obviously, there's going to be something about the outside world, but we've seen other projects like Cloverfield projects and other things where, where wondering what the outside world really is, is half the fun. So I really didn't need to see anything in the trailer about it. Yeah. I think that it wasn't needed as a spoiler, right? They didn't need to, yeah, they could exactly. peak the curiosity without it. Right. Yes, I agree. Okay. So my Rumfield recommendations are as follows. I look, I highly recommend clone wars and rebels. No, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I've moved on. So, <laughs> so it's like, like sperm banks and grilled cheese. Like what? Yes. No. Well, no, but so for like the last 10 episodes or something, every time I raise the subject of the clone wars and rebels cartoons, Chris gets upset at me because I talk at great length about how interested I am in the, in discovering this extended uh, canon, and he hasn't seen any of it. Right. So the more I can insert that, the better. And he's not even here to experience it. So maybe later on he'll listen to this and be frustrated. Maybe he won't. I don't know. Anyway, but if this is related. Uh, last time we talked, I told you I was reading a book um, by Claudia Gray called Master and Apprentice, which is a Star Wars book that's set in uh, the period before The Phantom Menace. And I think you and I talked about the fact that most mm-hmm. Star Wars books are garbage. And I wondered, did you read that book? No. Okay, so um, I did not like Claudia Gray's writing in Bloodline, which is the post 
Return of the Jedi. That. I did read that. I did, yeah, I did read I, that. I did not enjoy that book particularly. Um, and I, but I think possibly having read this one, or uh, I, these are both audiobooks, so I'm listening to them. Maybe having listened to this one, my problems with Bloodline were that I, I listened to it and I didn't, and it was the choice of narrator possibly, but she was over emoting and being really dramatic and drawn out about every little line she read. And while she sounds kind of Princess Leia-ish, um, I just, she's, her she's, reading. She's manifesting of, Liv Tyler. She's, that's right. Did you, did you listen to it or read it? I read it. Okay. So when listening to it, I couldn't, I think maybe it was the, delivery made it feel more um simplistic than possibly the book was in actuality although i don't know but i know this when i read master and apprentice which is also claudia gray and she read it she wrote it first it's a lot better it's a lot more nuanced and it's possible that it's also again the influence of the of the narrator because this narrator managed to do fucking spot-on impressions of young obi-wan as well as sort of prime era Liam Neeson, even uh, hmm. what's his name as Dooku and all this. I mean, like I was astonished at how well he did those mimicry and he's a deeper, a deeper tenor. So when he was doing female voices, it was a little bit, you know, questionable, but for the most part, mm-hmm. I mean, you're always going to face that when you're dealing with these uh, narrators. But anyway, so that that was somewhat redemptive uh, of Claudia Gray to me because I liked that. And actually, I found some of the concepts in that book very compelling, very interesting in terms of the uh, what it what it backfills in in the story of the Jedi leading up to the Phantom Menace. In a way, this is the kind of stuff in Star Wars that I love the most. It's the it's the it's the infill about the details surrounding all that stuff and not necessarily the main events. Right. So, OK, mm-hmm. good. Now. I'm reading Star Wars Aftermath. Have you read that trilogy yet? No. From Chuck Windig. So no. uh, this author uh, is more famous now for having gotten in trouble on Twitter. He got into Twitter wars, political Twitter wars, with some of his um, followers who were kind of goading him into things. And he got into a big thing. And then he was basically uh, censored by Marvel. He was writing some Star Wars stuff for Marvel Comics. And eventually he just was abruptly removed from the projects. And it's whole thing but interestingly his writing on aftermath is it's good it's much it's much um it's much i think claudia gray's stuff is a little bit more young adult and his work on aftermath while not sophisticated in the way that like say neil stevenson and some of the stuff that we really enjoy is it's it's very readable and i'm actually reading it and rather listening to it and uh, aftermath is taking place after endor and it's about the remnants of the uh, Imperial fleet trying to regroup and uh, plan for their survival. And uh, anyway, uh, very good so far. I'm really enjoying it. Hmm. So okay. I, I would I would recommend it. Star Wars Aftermath. And so there's a three book series, um, and I'm only in the first book now. Also, I recommend uh, Jessica Jones season three, which last time mm-hmm. I told you I was watching and I have completed. Have you seen it? I'm not. Okay. But it's on the it's, list. It's on the list. It's it's definitely downscaled from some of the stuff they've done in that world. It does not involve necessarily so much super characters and much more like regular people in a way. Um, so it's a different sort of story for her and also has a lot to do with other characters than her. 
in a very positive way. So um, I thought it was a really nice bookend to the Marvel Netflix series, and that surprised me. Hmm. Um, so that's good. And then lastly, and this is another one for, I think, a future episode, but uh, I watched Widows on the plane. Have you seen that? No. So I'm blanking. Oh, Steve McQueen directed it. Not from the grave, the modern Steve McQueen. <laughs> and all I can tell you about it is you probably saw the trailers for it, like the the widows of a bank heist team trying to figure out what to do after the, all of their husbands or whatever died. Yes. So it it's like the anti it's like the anti heat, not in the sense that it is uh, an inversion on that story, but rather where heat was about these guys and the and was unique in that it showed the the lives, the backgrounds of these bank robbers. And you saw that they had families and would get together and do things and had frustrated family members and stuff, but it didn't really touch on them too much. Right. The female characterization in that film is not great. Widows is it's like heat, but it's all about the women and it's actually really good from a characterization standpoint and some of the things they do. And what I really want to do is do a thing where we watch Heat and then we watch Widows and then we talk about it. Because prior, Chris and I had planned on watching Heat and then The Town and comparing those, which I did and he didn't do his homework. Um, But Widows is a much better companion to watching Heat and then talking about it because some of the sort of modern choices in that story made are very interesting relative to what Hmm. was done in Heat. And... To to add to the comparisons, there's there's a heist and there's the under, underworld and there's all this stuff that's very similar and it's shot very similar in terms of its visual quality. But it even has a soundtrack that I was like, fucking A, this soundtrack is even emoting heat, right? And I went back and looked at it later and it's also Hans Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, man. Just fucking amazing. So I can't wait to uh, talk with you guys in more detail about that. Uh, finally we have a a segment called run through recommend reconsiderations which is like you know we watch something again does it does it change when you watch it again right Mm -hmm. and um uh young young chris has not yet seen hellboy so i i'm not even going to go into it but i watched hellboy a second time on the plane and i know that your impression of the film is still zero out of ten I felt it did a little better the second viewing, but I think it's primarily because my disappointment's already gotten away with <laughs> So now mm-hmm. I can just focus on the positives, right? You know, but uh, I, I actually enjoyed it more the second time than the first time. And I wonder if you were to see it again, whether you would feel the same way. No. Nope. I also nope. started watching Captain Marvel again, but I only got about a third of the way in. I'm still enjoying it, although this time I'm finding um, Brie Larson's affect more snide than I found it the first time. And how so? Uh, There are things about her performance that make her feel like a real person, which is – and you see her in interviews and stuff, and you realize it's a lot of just Brie Larson being Brie Larson. Like her, like kind of looking, kind of slight twitches of her pers- of her facial expression, or kind of kind of an eyebrow cock, or these short little comments she makes. They're very. That's just Brie Larson being herself. Um, they are things that, in the first viewing of the movie, I felt made her feel like a real a real person and not just a generic uh, character. Um, 
But at the same time, having watched her in enough interviews, I'm starting to feel like a lot of that is the Harrison Ford effect, right? She's playing herself. And I'm reacting to Brie Larson in a costume dealing with these things and not so much Carol Danvers dealing with these things. And so that's kind of fourth wall stuff. I mean, it's my brain doing that. But anyway, I'm still enjoying it quite a bit. I'm just more aware of the fact that um, the affect in the film is a lot than what she presents in her day-to-day interviews and stuff. Lots of scrolls, though. Lots of scrolls in there. There are. No toast points. No toast points. No no toast points. All right, so there we go. So this was a a rollicking fun. But wait, what about mine? What what about your... Oh, do you have a reconsideration to talk about? Yeah, The Expanse, seasons one through three. Oh, Blake, I really wish I could have seen those all again. Maybe I should. So... It is... Uh, I have a much deeper appreciation for them, especially when we watch them um, kind of in bulk. It, yeah. uh, I, I really enjoyed learning again how they approached the books and where they deviated and where they stayed true. And uh-huh. uh, the storyline, especially the season one, season two transition is just exceptional. That's awesome. I really do want to see them again because I started with the show and then when you encouraged me, I started reading, which was because you bought them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yep. that important, um, which I love you for. And uh, I think I started reading them between season two and season three or maybe during season two. And so I'd really like to go back and watch uh, season one fresh and see if it um, if it changes my perception at all. I remember loving it, at, loving the hell out of it as a show and then reading it and being like, fuck, man, this is, you know, equally good and better in different ways. So, yeah, I definitely want to do that again. Yeah, because uh, uh, I remember being really confused about the arc for Amos in season two. Oh, yeah. And when you when you watch, like, the, the episode blocks, it actually makes a lot more sense now. And you're talking and, about uh, how he's shepherding, uh, he's shepherding uh, what's-his-name around? Well, no, actually, when he finds the neural cutout guys after the, the raid uh, oh. on the protogen station... Right, 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 right. And he gets kind of infatuated and fascinated with it, and then his uh, behavior takes a dark turn. Um, yes, because that wasn't that wasn't you know the how it was in the books. It was more about the Baltimore arc, um, where they they explored that in a lot of detail. But then the the redemption tale when he goes and saves the kid um, from the, that was hijacked from Ganymede. Um, right. The, the, it, it it makes a lot more sense. It made a lot more sense um, to me second time around. I will say, um, thinking about the Amazon project and how the pace that they're going, I really hope that they're given a lot of room and time because I'm going to be devastated if we don't see the rest of the book series in live action form. Because while I applaud them for doing the Illus colony storyline and showing that, I cannot fucking wait for the fucking Duarte's fleet and the whole, mm-hmm. Oh my God. I just, I, that whole thing when they come back out of deep, out of uh, ring space and they just fucking just take over and Holden being taken back with him. And then all the stuff and t- I'm like, just having recently listened to TMS wrath. I cannot wait to see that shot. Yeah, I think it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. 
So anyways, I hope that we get many more years of Expanse to come. Well, my friend, I started with one guy and I'm ending with another. This has been a great session, and uh, it's good to talk to you. Good to talk and, to you. Uh, uh, safe travels, and um, hope everything's doing well uh, over the pond. I, so far, yes, no deaths that I know of, so good. Um, are you traveling again soon, or are you staying put for a while? Um, traveling at the end of July. Oh, okay. and then, um, But this fall is going to be <laughs> intense. Fucking hell, is that the official term? It, well, <laughs> hell on wheels with a bad attitude and an empty wallet. <laughs> you know, when we were talking about uh, El Royale, um, when I told you that we need to watch Widows, um, the woman in El Royale, who's the singer, is in Widows. Yeah. And I spent basically all of Willows trying to figure out where, where the fuck I knew her from. Um, and I was on a plane with no internet and I had to wait ultimately, you know, 25 hours or so before I could look it up. And then I realized that it was the same same actress that was in El Royale, which shocked me because at the time when I looked up El Royale and I was trying to figure out where she was from and I saw how little she had done before that movie, I was like, holy shit, I feel like I've seen that actress for like years. And actually she's done mm-hmm. very little. So she's in Widows as well. Anyway, that's that's that. Okay. So I'm back uh, next week, and then uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to hang out a little bit before you leave. That would be good. Okay, and on that, we sign off. We're going to put the Kraken back in the box and cue all the crazy sounds and look forward to the next recording. Calamari. Uh, <laughs> adios. Adios.